Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse, episode 392. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's going on? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Titans Beast World issue 5, Titans Beast World Tour Star City issue 1. At least Matt read it anyway because he's a <laughs> sucker. Yeah. Short week, I kind of knew I was going to be on my own, and also it's Green Arrow. Pete's been pretty out on that, but someone had to do it. Uh, we got Detective Comics 1081, The Flash issue 5, Green Arrow issue 8, The Penguin issue 6, Amazon's Attack issue 4, Power Girl issue 5, and the main story from Batman, The Brave and the Bold issue 9 to wrap things up. So, it's a, it's a healthy enough week, I would yeah. say. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty good. I didn't have, even though we are recording a little bit early, I didn't have any issue finishing on time, which is, I can't say the same for, for other days yeah. or other weeks. Oh, it was great. I did, sometimes on a Saturday, I need to like, wake up and like, oh, I've got three hours to read all my books because I couldn't, yep. I had to sleep till a certain time. Uh, it was kind of chill, just gradually picking at them today because we were <laughs> recording on a Friday in a, a later mm-hmm. time slot. So, hey ho, uh, that is what's coming up on the show. So, uh, are you sick, Matt? You said you were a bit sick before we started. Yeah, I'm. I might be fighting something. I we've had some really crazy weather here in the desert. It, it was really cold and wet, and then it was just wet, and now it's warm again, despite you know being almost February. So I just woke up and my chest was all feeling icky. I got a slight cough. Oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah. So no fever, nothing yet. Um, I say yet, but yeah, nothing. Nothing. A little bit of Taco Bell and Baja Blast. <laughs> after the show we'll, we'll remedy ah uh, you son of a bitch you're almost make, making me want some food but for yeah. me it'll be like after 2 or 3am by the time we're done so I won't have the option sadly nah. do places over there deliver that late? I don't think maybe one or two places deliver yeah. that late but not it, it's definitely not been a thing forever if it is a thing because uh, even, even here that's kind of pushing it yeah. you know Vegas is a city that never sleeps but I don't know too many restaurants that are delivering it to. Nah, I think it's a Friday. I think Friday and Saturdays, a lot of places will go till about 1 a.m. But mo- all mm-hmm. the rest of the nights, I think most places are done by 11 p.m. So so will you try to scrounge something and try to cook something? Or will you just go to bed and not eat? <laughs> uh, it depends if I'm hungry. depends if I'm yeah. hungry. Uh, yeah. There's nothing like that where you, like, I've, I've done it where I've gotten home late from, like, a concert or whatever. And I didn't want to stop because I'm trying to eat better. But then I go home and there's really nothing that I want. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking through the leftovers, you know, or I'm like, I can make a grilled cheese, but then I got to turn the stove on, you know, but uh, then I just usually end up eating a bowl of cereal because that's easy. Anywho, uh, we're, we're, here for, we're here for comics mm-hmm. and we'll start with Matt's favorite segment as uh, we always Indeed. do, which is the Comixology Top 10 or the less formally known as the Comixology yes. Top 10. Uh, starting on Tuesday because I separated by day. Matt, what do you think the number one book from Tuesday is? I'm gonna take a big swing on this one. I'm gonna guess Batman: Brave and the Bold Nine. No. Ah, uh, oh, dang. Okay. Uh, Beast World Five. That's correct. Beast World Five. Yeah. So uh, number two is Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey, let's go. That's a Get lot that higher than normal, up. actually. I wonder why yeah. that's up so much. Yeah. Weird. Because uh, people have been listening to us and they're smart. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the collection yeah, that came out for the previous it. set and now people are back on the singles. I don't know. 
Uh, number three is Batman Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that King and Garrett story did push it up from where it mm-hmm. normally would be. Uh, four is Flash. Five is Green Arrow. Six is Beast World uh, Tour Star City. Seven is Power Girl, eight is The Penguin, nine is Amazon's Attack, and ten, beating uh, Harley Quinn, which is number 11, uh, is the latest Flash collection, the final Jeremy Adams volume, uh, is actually number 10. So, yeah, Harley Quinn on digital ain't doing so hot. Uh, not so. at all that's that's wild to me that a flash collection nothing nothing is adam I love, I love that run but over harley that's that's weird wild stuff oh, yeah it'd be weird for any collection it's, it's just it's more just the yeah. heart typically the new single issues will always do better than the collections digitally in the week they came out mm-hmm. but hey ho uh, also dc power celebration uh was out this week as well uh that's number mm-hmm. 12 which makes it's a 10 dollar anthology book i'm yeah. not surprised at that but yeah uh, so yeah, yeah, no, no, nothing too much to say, other than the fact that Harley got beat by a trade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Wednesday, let's see if you can deduce what number one is. I'm looking. There's there's a there's a book I think it might be, but then there's all reliable. I'm I'm gonna guess with Resurrection of Magneto one. Uh, you know what? Huh. You actually might be right. You are right. Uh, okay. Yeah. You started saying might be, and I was like, what, is, is the list repopulating as we talk? <laughs> no, I was looking at is something else. Is it a live else. look? I was looking at something else, so gotcha. I wasn't looking at it when you said <laughs> good, good to know. Good to know. Uh, number two is Star Wars Thrawn Alliances. That was, that was going to be my other guess, but I went with X-Men over Star Wars because of, you know, current trends. Mm. Uh, three is Marvel Gods, issue four. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is Ghost Machine one shot. Uh, this is oh. an image book. That's not even in the top. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, top. Mm, top uh, ten. Yeah, I don't um, even recognize the creator on this. Uh, Metal Zucht. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Fair enough. Uh, number five is Immortal Thor. Wait, uh, was 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 that a joke? Because that is not who's who's the creator. No, it was the first thing listed on the Amazon page. Let me... Uh, Got you. It says, it says authors, uh, Metal Zucht, Lamont McGee, and Brad Meltzer. Wow. So, League of Comic Geeks has the first two names listed as Jeff Johns and Ivan Race. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of names in here, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, Ren- it looks like it is a, a collection of their... Um, what, what was it called? Their their new line that they're doing. Okay, I see, I see. Yeah, so it says uh, Geiger, Redcoat, Rook, the Rockefellers, and many, many more. So, um, uh, it's the, the creator. And so it also has Johns, uh, Ivan Race, uh, Tomasi, the other name they said that I'm not going to go, and Manipole. Those are the, the ones that I have listed, so. Hmm, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, number six is Rom. Number seven is X-Force uh, number eight is Power Rangers issue one sixteen. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. they kept that main book going yeah. still, but fair enough. I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised they're still Power Rangers, yeah. but I, I thought they'd stopped the main series and started doing lots of other spinoffs like, like, or yeah, various things. But that's fair enough. Uh, number nine is Universal Monsters Dracula, yeah. uh, which is by Tynan. Um, 
which for some reason has a one-star rating on Amazon. Someone's hate-reviewed it, seemingly. Uh, Oh, fun times. And then number 10 is Gargoyles Dark Ages. What's notable here, there's a really high percentage of non-Marvel books in this top 10. Uh, I guess Marvel just didn't put out as many books this week. No, there's a lot. If you go to League of Comic Geeks, really? there's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple Spider Man. There's an Immortal Thor. There's a Spider Woman. Um, mm. there's a Punisher. There's a Daredevil. Uh, so yeah, okay. It's only three. I thought it was four, but Gargoyle yeah. says Disney, so I assume that's technically yeah. Marvel that published that. <laughs> yeah, but that's a technicality. Yeah, technicality. Uh, yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I, yeah, very odd list uh, from Wednesday here. There's a lot of things I don't really recognize or know, yeah. know what they are. Like, what's Rom? It looks like a Marvel book, but I don't know what Rom is. I don't know Rom. I know is Rom the Space Knight, uh, and that wasn't. I don't think that was Marvel. Oh, this is an omnibus. It's not even a single oh. issue. It's an omnibus. Doesn't say that's not even coming up on my on the League of Comic. Uh, yeah, Rom the original Marvel Years Omnibus Volume One. Wow. That's interesting, because at least back when I was paying more attention to the collections, I don't think Marvel put their omnibuses mm-hmm. on digital. They, no. they put their their regular paperbacks and maybe their, their sort of deluxe hardcovers, yeah. but they, did, they didn't tend to digitally sell their omnibuses. Maybe they've changed their status on that. But. Mm-hmm. Or maybe because it's wrong, it was easier to put that out digitally instead of uh, physically. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it is just digital, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, there you go. Um... Yeah, that's kind of wild. That's $50, and it's number six in the top ten. Hey, man. Rom sells, apparently. I've never heard of it, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll I'll take your word. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That's the, the comicsology top ten. Uh, as far as news goes, there's not really proper news this week, although there was one little tidbit from James Gunn that seemed worth mentioning. Um, mm-hmm. Someone asked him this week, if and I had forgotten this was even announced because it was it's been three years the article pointed out since this was announced. Uh, but Tanahasi Coates was writing a Superman movie. Mm-hmm. Someone asked him, "Is that still a thing? Is that still in development?" And he gave a pretty definitive yes to that question. So maybe that'll still happen someday. Although he did he, apparently the one other thing he said is that it will be outside of the the DCU. Yeah. It won't be part of the universe that he's building, which is interesting because you know they've announced what like eight or ten projects that are part of the universe and we've got matt reeves the batman part two which Mm -hmm. is going to be separate so there's also going to be a tanahasi coach superman movie separate at some point i mean i'll believe it when i see it i'm still not convinced it's happening but when they start doing some like casting announcements and you know other other things i'll get excited or even a director would be yeah (laughs) it would would be a start Uh, but yeah, that that seemed worth mentioning, even though I'm st- I'm I'm not convinced. Okay, yeah. I I remain skeptical to say the least. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very good. All right. Well, yeah. Um, Joe, I was thinking. I was thinking. Uh, because they announced this week. This is I'm, I'm dipping out of DC here, although it's yeah. comics related. Is uh, they announced that Jason Aaron's doing the. The new TMNT, yep. like sort of soft reboot, right? Mm-hmm. But the new number one and all that stuff. It made me go, oh, maybe this is a good time to just read through that whole series because, because yeah. you know, it's just refreshing. And you yeah. know, whether or not I want to jump out of the new one or not is another thing. 
but I've read like 70 issues of the original run before and I was thinking I might start from the start again and mm-hmm. just sort of go because it's been a while and you yeah. know whatnot um so I, I was thinking I might start chipping away at that um I don't know how quickly I'll go through it I may just do an issue a night kind of thing yeah, yeah. but I, I was toying with the idea of, of doing the whole mm. IDW TMNT run I think issue 147 came out this week Oof. so so you're big, about halfway through I'm halfway but I'm starting from the scratch again because yeah. it's been so long since I read the first right. chunk uh I'll be selective though with what minis or tie-in things I bother reading uh I'll I'll stick to if if they seem interesting I'll I'll, I'll do it I know they, they put cuz I remember them putting out a lot of one shots early on mm-hmm. that I just remember thinking were worthless and didn't add anything yeah. so I'll I'll just happily skip those uh it's it's when I get to the, the half that I'm not as familiar with where I'm like I'm not sure what's essential outside of the main book mm-hmm. but I'm sure I'm sure there's someone will tell me it'll be fine yeah I'm sure there's resources out there. Yeah. Was, I'm, just, I'm very impressed they've kept it going as long as they have, because it literally mm-hmm. started like a month before the New 52. So that gives yeah. you a, a sense of time since that thing kicked off and how long it's been going. So very curious to uh, to m- maybe dive into that. Because I really, mm-hmm. like, all of 2023, I barely touched the comic book that wasn't DC. I just, for whatever reason, I wasn't doing That's... a lot of extra reading. I was just reading for the show and that was it. Yeah, um, me too. So I, I I don't really like the idea of like getting piled on with a lot of other books, but I like the mm-hmm. idea of just having one project that I can just yeah. stick to, and I think that's the one I'm going to tackle. It's, so. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm just like, DC, stop putting out stuff that I want to read. Right? Uh-huh. It, was a lot, it was a lot easier when there was stuff that I was just like, eh, I don't need that. But it's just, it's consistently things, you know. I look about stuff that I could drop for the week, and there's nothing really... That, that sneaks up so you know as it as it keeps going because i want to i mean i want to go back and finish immortal hulk so i never even finished that so um and now yeah. there's an immortal thor so yeah although greg land's coming to ruin that so ah uh, thanks enjoy that yeah. <laughs> uh otherwise i've just been, i've still been on a heavy movie binge i've been watching a lot of movies and that's yes uh, i haven't done quite as many this week as i did the, for, the past few weeks but it's still a pretty mm-hmm. decent amount uh including yeah. possibly the worst movie i have ever seen this week the, the fact that you watched that and you said that made me happy <laughs> i am of course referring to the hip-hop witch from the year 2000 starring Eminem and various hip hop artists who did not have a script. I didn't know what it was, but I started watching it really. And it became apparent after a few minutes that all that movie is, all in a few scenes that they film to try and like pretend there's a plot by inserting them is it's just someone has went up to various hip hop stars and said, Hey, can you ad lib some lines that you have survived an encounter with a hip hop, witch?" and then they just make shit up. So nothing actually fits Ugh. together. No, 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 nothing one of them says even sounds similar to what one of the other ones say. And it's it's nothing. It, it's a nothing movie. It's, 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 it's 85 minutes of just torture to sit through. Uh, there was one element Ugh. that got a little funny towards the end, but it's not worth anything else. It's... it's... <sighs> yeah, man, there's... Uh, I'm looking at some of the names involved here, and it was um, a parody of the Blair Witch Project. I mean, so 
Yeah. I don't know if you'd get that from watching it, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm looking at the at the um, the wiki article for it, and I I like I not that I roll like super deep in hip hop. There's names I I recognize, and after about halfway down this list, there's people I just don't know. Uh, oh, I never knew there were so many hip hop artists with the number of people yeah. that show up for a, a quick on camera segment. Some of them, obviously, they got more time with, so they split up their thing over the course of the movie. So it keeps yeah. coming back to Eminem every few minutes, and somehow, every single time it comes back to him, he starts talking about how the witch put her finger up his ass, and that's like something <laughs> that comes back every single time. And it's such an Eminem <laughs> thing, too, where you know, you know, he's like, "How long do you think I can keep this going for?" And then like, two thirds through, I thought he was finally done talking about it. But then he started talking about putting his finger up the witch's ass, and that's where I lost it. That's where I just lost the will to live. Um, did you finish this movie? I did finish this movie. Why? Because I was forced to. It was a stream thing. It wasn't something I chose to watch. <laughs> gotcha. It was inflicted upon me. Uh, see, that's why I don't open myself up to strangers. Right, Ugh. and there's a twist ending, if you can even call it that. With the reveal of who the hip hop which is, I, I shouldn't spoil. It. No one's ever going to watch it, but so maybe I shouldn't yeah. spoil it. But it's uh, like it scarred me. I, I yeah. you know, I I'm I, I don't know how I feel. Man, about it. the the guy that directed this has directed so many music videos. Directed. I'm just going to put that in your quotes there. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm looking at like there's some big, you know, big names he's worked with, and he thought this was this was his. Jump to Hollywood was a, a hip hop witch. Oh man! <laughs> that said, not a lot of these are great videos as I'm as I'm going through them. You know, there's not a lot of them have like a, you know, it's not like David Fincher doing Madonna, right? Where it really sticks out. So, but yeah, who we? Yeah, rough rough times. I'm I'm not sorry you had to watch that. <laughs> uh, also, weird weird trend. So you know. Last week I watched Poor Things, yep. right, which was very, 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 very good. Highly recommend mm -hmm. it. And then at the weekend I watched No Hard Feelings, mm -hmm. which was okay. Had some laughs, yeah. but I, I wasn't. I don't think that you would have enjoyed it as much as I did, but I'm glad. I'm glad to see you got a passing rating from you. And then I watched Saltburn earlier oh, this buddy. week, right? And I think just. I just, I found it really strange that in the span of two weeks, I watched three 2023 movies, all of which had extreme full frontal nudity. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not sure what happened where a bunch of actors around my age all at the same time went, ah, screw it. Let's just show everything off. I believe the phrase is, why not? <laughs> and I'm not complaining. It was just yeah. such a, a, a bizarre, like, short span of time to get so much of it over, you know, a week and a I half. Will, I will say, though, the one in No Hard Feelings, I've never laughed harder during a full frontal scene. Oh, yeah, it's a comedy scene. Yeah, it's, it's played it's for like, laughs. And I was not expecting it. And so in the theater, like, it was one of those ones where I had to, I had to take a breath. Because, you know, <laughs> it comes, not that it comes from out of left field, because of what sets it up, but I was not expecting it to go full go. And it does full go. So... Um. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I'm thankful that Saltburn didn't get nominated for anything because now I, I feel like I don't need to see it. So we're we're good. Um. Well, why Why would you have a problem having to see it, Matt? I I've heard things. I've heard about about sounds that are made, and I just I don't I don't want to watch that. Sounds that are made. 
Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a drain. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Four <laughs> things, I definitely, it was on my radar anyways, because of Emma, you know, uh, and then, you know, I get, I get to finally see uh, Flowers of the Killer Moon. So that's, that's good. Uh, I'll squeeze that, that gargantuan piece of cinema in at some point. <sighs> uh, I just, I feel like there's some jokes to be made here. Uh, about, about Saltburn? No, about you just want uh, to see poor things because you want to see Emma Stone naked. But that's not the only reason. So the only me, reason. The <laughs> you know. However, I heard it is there's a lot of themes with Barbie that overlap, and this is almost like a kind of different take on. Oh, that. poor they, things is a much better version though. Poor, well, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there are there are themes that are shared. So it's just funny that these two movies that could not seem to be polar opposite, right? Share share some thematic elements and so um but yes however that's not why it was high on my list with emma stone i just i watch most things with emma stone in them so and it just happens that uh, that that's part of the plot <laughs> like the actual plot not like in the not in the universe universe i can't even talk right now not in the internet's you know form of plot but you know yes also mark ruffalo i like most things he's in hmm Heard he kind of steals the movie in, in his scenes. So, uh, I look forward to that. Okay, well... I would say yes, except for the mm-hmm. fact that Emma Stone's also just, like, killing it constantly, yeah. so it's kind of hard to yes. say that he steals the scenes, because he, he tends to yeah. be sharing them with her. But yes. I, I get what the sentiment is, yeah. what you said. So. Yeah, so, but yes, yeah, so I'm glad. But yeah, I've seen that you saw four things, I've seen a lot of it's the only time I really feel inadequate is this time of year when I'm just not having time to watch movies and you're you're just charging through them, uh-huh. you know, head down. And then I get get it from Connor as well, and then Dan. I just I'm I'm surrounded. Then Alden, but don't tell anybody. I don't really take his uh-huh. stuff in there because if I if I took his, I'd, I'd watch Maestro, which I have access to. I just don't have don't have the desire to watch. Well, so. Connor's different this year because mm-hmm. last year he like didn't watch a movie until like may or something like that mm-hmm. like he he for whatever yeah. reason last year watched almost nothing like he watched yeah. like a handful of movies all year he was reading yeah. books and yeah doing other stuff with mm-hmm. his spare time or something i don't yeah. know uh i've been doing mm-hmm. I, my, my my pace is very good it's not going to keep yeah. up for too much longer i, I yeah. don't think but yeah. it's definitely the most busy movie january i've had in a, a good number yeah. of years but yeah, I tend to look at you and Dan, and if if it gets passing from both of you, it, it's making the list. So, yes, but uh, our friend Dan uh, yes. does have some. You know, he like he, he sometimes he props up some really shitty looking action movies because he likes yeah. action movies. But the, well, yeah, he's he's. I, I like to think that I split the difference between you two. You know, like um, he saw the beekeeper and said uh-huh. it was pure cinema, and I'm like, yeah. eh, I've not seen it, but I've got a funny feeling I'm not going to agree with that statement. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna think that the the Jason Statham movie is not pure cinema. Huh, weird. Uh, I would argue that the vast majority of people are not going to think that the Jason yeah. Statham movie and is that's pure why, cinema. And that's why I love Dan. Tremors is also his favorite movie, so this is very on brand. I don't know. Know, I'm fine with loving yeah. Tremors. Tremors is a good time. Yeah. It's a very well paced, well acted, uh, fun B movie. Yeah. It's a, it's However, a... today I did see the new Dev Patel movie. That's a John Wick. I don't want to call it a ripoff, but 
you know, a John Wick inspired film. And the first person I saw comment on the trailer was Dan, and he looks very excited. Oh no, uh, no. Is, is it actually John Wick-esque, or is it just an action movie? Because we can't just call every action movie that's so after John Wick. So from I haven't Wick, seen the trailer John yet, because I, I, I didn't have time to watch it, but John Wick-esque about like a revenge that's very flashy and very very action-oriented. Uh, it's Dev Patel starring and directing from Slumdog Millionaire. So, um, hmm. I don't think but, I don't think the revenge element makes it John Wick. I think it's only John Wick esque if the action scenes are like John Wick because re- yes. revenge was already a thing for action movies long true. before John Wick but, came raiding in on his dead dog. True, but when I hear something is John Wick esque, it's not just action; it's a certain kind of action in revenge element. Like to me, for it to be John Wick esque, there has to be a revenge element to it, or you know, someone taking something back. So like nobody. I don't know if you saw that one with Odenkirk. You know, I saw nobody. Yeah, I feel that was John Wick esque, and it's well, yeah, but there's an story. El- yeah, no, but there's an element there that you're leaving out yeah. that makes that John Wick esque. Yes, it's John Wick esque because he's living a normal life, and mm-hmm. it's a secret that he's got a history right. that gives him all these extra skills. That's part of it. Equalizer's mm-hmm. a John Wick esque in that yes. sense, but the action in Equalizer mm-hmm. doesn't feel anything like John Wick. So you can sort of maybe, yeah, you know, that's but- more of an action. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna tell you what this one's called. Oh, Monkey Man is is the one. Yeah, yeah. Produced by Jordan Peele. I, I just I just think that all action movies are going to like be thrown around and compared to John yeah. Wick, and I, I, I don't think it's... Yeah. I, I just don't think it fits most of them as, as that most people are actually going to use it for, I guess is what I'm saying. True. I, I, I would say that, but this one, and the, the first thing that I'm seeing in multiple, multiple different film websites are calling it John Wick-esque. Oh, I'm not arguing that it isn't. I don't know. know. I was just, I was asking the question. I wish I I had watched, I wish I had watched the trailer. I wish I had time today, but I was busy reading comics on my breaks. So, so, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, let's let's get to some comics. So, we will kick things off this week with Titans Beast World issue five, which is uh, Tom Taylor with Ivan Reese back on art, but he's got some help from Eduardo Pansica. Uh, who's doing some some uh, fill-in duties, mm-hmm. I guess, if you want to call it that, on this this book. And one of the first things I loved about this issue is that, other than just a little bit of, like, you know, Raven being sad in space with mm-hmm. the others because Garrow's, like, floating in space dead, is it's a press conference where the whole point of it is that, hey, Amanda Waller's been working in the shadows to protect our great nation all these years, but it's time she stepped into the light. So this is like Amanda Waller's coming out party to the public mm-hmm. where... She makes this speech, and this, I thought, was fantastic writing from Taylor, because as she starts praising Chunk, or full name Chester Runk, as she starts praising him, saying, he sacrificed himself, we tried to save him, but it was impossible, but he gave his life to save everyone. I, I think the writing's so good here, because in the context of the story that we read last issue, this is so slimy, and so corrupt, yep. and such a lie, that you can't help but feel a little sick to your stomach as she's saying all this. He, he had no agency. No, they, not, they, not an iota of agency. So, all this talk of me here, it's very, very, this is very, this is a new version of Amanda Waller, right? Because the Waller we're pretty familiar with is do anything for her country, you know, even if that means doing stuff that's criminal, right? This is like straight up super villainy, like, I would expect this from Lex Luthor, 
And there's that, a leader yeah. plot. This, you know? Yeah, this feels like she's finally making her play for what her end game or yeah. what she's wanted the whole time. In fact, the word that really got me when she was talking about Chunk was that mm-hmm. he volunteered, just to go yeah. back to you saying he had no agency. That's mm-hmm. the word she used. He volunteered. <laughs> Bitch. No, he didn't. Yeah. Well, and she also says because um, he lost his son to the creatures. Uh, oh, we, well, technically, yeah. So. Yeah, no, Peacemaker <laughs> iced the sun. You know, we know there's a way out, right? Like, there's a cure for this. Which, you know? yeah, and obviously that makes the big threat mm-hmm. that's introduced here is that Waller goes mm-hmm. on to say that steps must be taken to kill all of the beast people. And the press obviously freak out when she says this. Mm-hmm. They start asking questions. And she's like, no, 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 this is the only action that we can take. This is how we protect the, the billions on the planet is to kill the mm-hmm. million or so that's turned into monsters. And that's the thing, yeah. Again, we as readers already know that this is not permanent. It's, if they yeah. get the parasites to leave the, the, the people, they just go back to normal. We've seen it happen to Nightwing oh. already. We've seen it happen to several people already. Right. So this is like sickening to read where she's like saying this and like try to convince the public mm-hmm. this is the only thing they can do. Yeah. So it, it sets up just a really good course of like uh, action for the main characters, the heroes, because mm-hmm. we cut to the heroes and they're like, where she wants to murder all these people and yep. like that doesn't need to happen so we can instantly get behind the heroes and what their their goal is now which is to stop waller at all costs because yeah. holy shit that's just genocide yeah because waller before has been shades of gray and that's kind of what they were kind of operating under right uh about this but now she's she's completely gone mask off so you know how do they respond because no matter what now i mean if they look like they're trying to save the people that are that are transformed into animals they look like they're working against the cause and that's kind of what her framework is right that this was uh this is the titan's fault for allowing beast boy to save them by by taking out the necro star right that's what we saw that's what we know what happened but to her beast boy went rogue and now he's the problem for all of this and we can't trust his friends to to save us and it, it does it puts the doubt into the superhero community uh from the general public yeah um i, I think a lot of what this issue is, which is, you know, there's various things going on, but one of the big things that happens is that Nightwing just goes to speak to Waller and tries mm-hmm. to convince her to not do this. And I think the big thing here is, like, like you were saying, like, up until now, Waller's been these shades of grey, she's doing all these mm-hmm. shady things, but arguably for ultimately mm-hmm. good reasons, at least in her mind. But there's a moment where Nightwing is trying to talk her out of it, and then he just has this realisation in the scene, wait, you want to kill all these people. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's just a look on her face. And it's kind of like, I think this issue is like the realization from the hero is just how, I don't know if evil's necessarily the right word. It is evil, but yeah. just how, just how Amanda she's, Waller, Amanda Waller is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's definitely, she's playing her own game too. Because it just doesn't end at that conversation where he makes it, you know, they go, they play into her trap, Right. Because this is, you know, yeah, she wants to kill all those people, but ultimately her goal is to get pe- the public to flip on the heroes. Yeah, she and, wants them to hate the, hate the Titans and hate the and, superheroes. And so basically what they're going to do is, you know, have have Cyborg intercept the, the drones, because what she's going to do is fire up a bunch of military drones to go, you know, into these cities and exterminate the targets. And so what Cyborg's like, well, this is an easy shutdown. I'm just going to use my, you know, computer powers, you know, that side of him to go and shut them all down, which Waller wants. Right. So every every decision that 
they're trying to make as heroes are playing into her ultimate plan. And it really seems like they've been outmaneuvered here. Yeah. Um, I mean, she straight up says that she'd have killed Beast Boy years ago mm-hmm. uh, if, if she had the chance, or yeah. if she could. Um, and obviously this all leads to her big reveal, which is who Dr. Hate is. And this is actually a good bit of writing here again, that mm-hmm. early on in the issue, the book takes time to reiterate Ravenstone and sort of the demon, mm-hmm. demon version of her is in that stone. Yep. So the big reveal at the end of the issue is that Dr. Hate is the other version of her. Her stone's been empty for a long time, right. and this alternate version of her is Dr. Hate. So you get this this final page of her in shock, looking at her evil self, smiling, and that's how the how the book ends. Um, but that, that early stuff, though, is very sweet. Like, there's, yeah. you know, when she's talking to Donna about how, mm-hmm. oh, she wants to go full revenge mode she wants to go kill waller and kill everyone who's responsible but that's not what gar would want you know gar's better he's got ideals and all that Uh, and there's a little sweet joke at the end of that scene where it's like yeah what a jerk it's like yeah he's such an ass as as they're hugging and embracing each other which which, uh, that's the spirit of of beast boy though right like uh man he would want to would have wanted us to make the right decision you know not what's easy uh, and again, that plays right into what his ultimate mission was that we got in Titans of wanting to basically help the planet. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be right. Uh, and uh, yeah, the the reveal, though, I think is a little bit. Not that I want a full backstory, but us having read that one story where Dr. Hate went rogue and tried to, you know, go into those realms. Right trying to go back and, and figure out that that's Raven and stuff. It just, to me, it doesn't really fit. So again, it feels like these tie-ins are kind of just, you know, shotgunned into, into it and kind of just make do with what you can. And that's well, fine. And Yeah. But is that a critique of this issue or a critique of that no, tie-in? That, that's what I mean. That's a critique of that tie-in knowing like, did, did that writer know who Dr. Hate was going to, going to end up being? Right, have, it does... I mean, you'd have to think they did. That'd be crazy to make them write an issue like that and not know who the character but actually nothing... is. I mean, maybe it's going to pay off after this, right? With that yeah. team that forms. Honestly, though, I'd forgotten that issue. And even though you're telling me, I remember yeah. reading that special, but I don't remember yeah. anything that happened in it beyond just right. the broad strokes of what and it so was. Just, just thinking about that and trying to make that fit too, because I like, I don't hate this reveal. I like the idea that it's it's Raven's evil soul self. And that's why it's able to do all of this evil stuff and why why it was able to to affect uh, Garo so well, right? Because when 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 Dr. Hate goes into Garo's brain, like mm. to him, it's just it's just Raven. Right. So he, he wouldn't offer any resistance, you know, and so it makes that seem even more devious than it already was. Yeah, I think the the reveal doesn't blow my socks off, but mm-hmm. it's. It's, I think it's by far more interesting than just, mm-hmm. oh, here's a villain that was under there, yeah. that, you know, that we just didn't predict. Cool. Like, And oh. they were teasing a Titan, right, too, and we were trying to figure out which Titan it could be. Technically, it's still true. It was a Titan. Yeah. Right. And I think that he, I think Taylor kind of walked that line pretty effectively. Uh, yeah. Because you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a letdown, but it's also, like you said, it doesn't knock your socks off. I think it's, it's a good story beat. But that's the thing, though, is I don't think anything could have knocked her socks off. Like, yeah. what, what possible former Titan would have been such a shock that wouldn't have made mm-hmm. us go, oh, why are they doing this, or, right. or or who's this? I don't think there was a, 
yeah. uh, like a, oh my god, what a what a twist coming. Um, mm-hmm. This is a bit more interesting because it it makes it more personal what's happened to mm-hmm. Gar because now it's like a, a like this is going to make Raven feel guilty because it yep. was kind of part of her that mm-hmm. helped manipulate this into existence. Like that's that is a far more interesting story beat than anything else we could have got by this turning out to be. Yeah. I don't know. Bumblebees under the mask. I don't know. Yeah, Bumblebee or 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 Boy Blue or any any of these random titans that we haven't seen in forever, right? Lagoon Boy, you know. Uh, yeah. So, but no, I, I I I liked it, and the idea of a chaotic Raven on top of it, like that, that's kind of scary, right? Because Raven is constantly trying to keep herself in check, and this is a Raven that doesn't want to do that. I also appreciate that it instantly ties it more to the characters because mm-hmm. I think Doctor Hate has been the thing that's felt the most separated mm-hmm. from everything else going on. We've been kind of waiting for Doctor Hate to feel more like it's a part of the mm-hmm. the actual main thrust of the story, and it feel it has felt kind of like you know it was teased at the end of the last event is a big part of this this upcoming Beast World, and it's kind of felt like oh it's it's you know he's they're around they they pop in and out or whatever, mm-hmm. but. They've not been the central focus of it, other yeah. than maybe that 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 one shot. But mm-hmm. this instantly, like I said, you know, because it turns out to be a part of Raven or another side mm-hmm. of Raven, instantly feels like okay. There's a lot of emotional weight that just ties it to that character mm-hmm. now, and yeah. instantly just makes it feel a part of everything that's going on. So I kind of appreciate that. I, I also want to point out a scene uh, just after the the heart to heart that Raven and Donna have. Uh, there's a great little scene where Detective Chimp is sort of talking about how all the monster people and how they're feeling confused right now and yep. how he's empathizing with them because he's felt those things and like yep. you know humans being mean to him and angry at him and hunting him he knows yep. how those things feel so i think the book does a really good job of giving you a sense of uh again just the stakes of what we're fighting for here the stakes of what the characters are yep. trying to stop they're, they're trying to save all these innocent people that waller's yep. just going to cross off they're just going to ah we're going to kill them all yeah. And like you said, a big part of this is that she can then say, we had to kill a million people because the Titans screwed up. That's on mm-hmm. them. Yeah. You know? So that's a big thing. Yeah. I will say, though, these few scenes in the middle, you can tell the art changed. Uh, yeah. This, this is where the different artists was really mm-hmm. kind of in there. Uh, by the time we go back to Waller and Peacemaker, it looks like it's back to Reese to me. Uh, I don't know if you agree um, with that. Well, no, actually, no, maybe not. I think a lot of the Waller stuff is Benzika. Because the Reese 3 stuff has a more... It's a different inker. So no, I, it was um the first page again with Waller looked like it was Reese, but then the next few pages mm-hmm. after looked back to Pinsika yeah. again. So um, is it just like a... Is it just like a, there's a point in the book where it switches and then never goes back? Is that how this is? No, because after Waller talks, it looks like the stuff with the Titans is Reese. Okay. Right? And and then it goes, goes through the heart-to-heart with Donna, Detective Chimp, Nightwing, and then when it gets back to to Waller and Peacemaker, it looks like it's Pansika again. Wait, are you saying the stuff with Chimps? Uh... I think that's Reese. Okay, that page is, but the page after with Cyborg, Wally, and Dick, that's not Reese. Me there. I'm, I'm looking at Cyborg's face. There's no way that's Reese. Yeah, that no, face. you're you're right. You're right. It's the heavier inks that I'm used to with Reese. They're yeah. trying to have me have, have me uh I, mean, I suppose there's something to be said that we're struggling to pinpoint yeah. exactly the pages, but there's mm-hmm. definitely some pages that stand yeah. out as being more one artist than the other. Yeah, for sure. So 
there's a whole fit fight between uh, Dick and Peacemaker uh, when he first goes to speak to Waller. We didn't really mention it because it's not. I mean, it's a yeah. fun little fight, but it's not yeah, the meat of the issue. It's what we love Taylor uh, doing with with Dick, and that is, you know, he Peacemaker's like, oh, you know, yeah, you have these stupid sticks, you know, but you have every every part of you is armored except your head. That makes it the target. Why don't you wear a helmet? And so Dick ends up uh, hitting Peacemaker and, and turning the helmet around to, you know, blind him. And that's very funny. Like, again, uh, that's what Taylor's done throughout the Nightwing run, where it's this very serious moment that we get laughs out of. Uh, and yeah. Dick's kind of like, that's why I don't wear a helmet, you know? Yeah, but, but, and then it gets super dark because uh, just to mm-hmm. go back to the Waller stuff and what she's actually up mm-hmm. to. I mean, obviously we said she wants everyone yeah. to hate the Titans and now they look bad because they've hacked into the military. Mm-hmm. But she specifically says that people don't want heroes. They want someone to blame and someone to hate. And mm-hmm. this was actually kind of hitting a, a chord here because this felt like it was really starting to say something because this is very much a yeah. critique of any government or military making the enemy yeah. out to be a monster and giving people to to blame someone, right? Like, so many political forces who rile up their, their crowd because they say, hey, all your problems are the blame of this other group of people. This felt like it was kind of tapping into that a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it felt like the, the book's actually saying something, which, honestly... I think that's probably on the rare side for a comic book yeah. event to have a little bit of subtext. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not saying it's super deep or it's that hard to see. No. It's pretty surface level, but it's still more than I think most comic events will have. Right, and the fact that we associate Waller with the government because that's been her role up to this point, you know, it really drives that point home of this is, you know, of them creating the other, and, and that's what people are, are going to hate. It's not necessarily the heroes. It's the idea and if you can make people hate an idea, then then you already got them. I think, right? yeah, Waller in some ways is really scary because she's like some of the worst politicians on the planet, mm-hmm. except she's much, much smarter than the real politicians. Yep. And right. that makes her very, very, very dangerous. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, and then uh, it might be in the other issue. We find out that she's behind the Bureau of Sovereignty, right? She, she's the one that's that's running all of that stuff. Um, I think it was in this one. Maybe uh, I don't know. I, don't I read remember. too many books. Yeah, I don't remember. Too, too close together. Being here, but but yeah, maybe maybe that was an Amazon's attack, and it's not Waller at all. It's somebody else. But you know, there's someone government involved. So yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, the biggest critique I'd have for this issue is the having the two artists and the mm-hmm. the art being inconsistent as a result. Some pages are very good. Like some of those pages yeah. where Waller's scowling as she's like happy that the Titans yeah. have intervened. That it's... stuff looks great. It's kind of Joker-esque in that because it's his dark smile. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. So she's got the skull yeah. down and she's got the yeah. big, big grin on. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, stuff's, that stuff's pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. And I love where this book's taken Waller with this issue and just mm-hmm. how how evil she kind of is with how she's manipulating yeah. these events and toying with everything, you know, to, by using Chunk as this, like, he volunteered and like mm-hmm. sort of talking about it like she didn't force them into it, uh, to her plans with the Titans and her willingness to kill yep. a million people. Uh, if she even ever did want to kill the million people, if that was not just to lure the Titans in to make them right. look bad. Either way, all of it is so conniving. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great. It's great character development for a villain and someone that we can now really root for the Titans to try and 
win against, which yeah. is which is cool. And it, There's definitely the stakes have definitely ramped up now with with Waller, right? Because if yeah. she gets away with this, what else? What what's next? So you know? and that stuff is fantastic. I think the Raven stuff and then the reveal of Doctor Hate is is not as good as that stuff, but yeah. I still think it's solid, and I'm still very interested in seeing how they how they have Raven handle this and how we deal with this in the next issue. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. And is Trigon gonna make an appearance? Because I mean, that's all he's ever wanted is is her to embrace that dark side. So you know, not not dark side. He doesn't want her to hug dark side the character, but you know, uh, her her whole origin is around being a vessel for Trigon. So you know, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a um, like again talking through that Raven reveal was made made me enjoy it a lot more than just you know reading mm. early when when it dropped and i was like okay that's good but how personal this is now to her and to the titans and what it meant to to gar so uh it's, taylor's again he he has a way of getting into these characters heads you know and and putting that on the page in a way that i can't remember many other many other uh writers doing yeah uh so what are you what are you rating titans beast world 5 matt i'm gonna i'm gonna give us an 8.5 yeah, I was thinking 8.5. I think it doesn't quite go a bit higher than that just because the inconsistent mm-hmm. art. Yeah. Um, and it also has to you know, be compared to previous issues. And that last issue with like sending mm-hmm. Chunk into space to kill Garo was really good. So, yep. you know, it's got stiff competition from itself, but uh, does quite well. Mm-hmm. All right. Titans Beast World Tour, Star City issue one. Um, I elected not to read this. <laughs> for my own sanity but matt for some reason uh thought he wants to complete the set and do the final i think it's it's the final uh i think this has got me into so much trouble not like actual trouble like you know but just over committing to these things i I never feel more like connor than when i just say i'll just i'll read it because i read the rest i gotta find a way to break that completionist thing and it's so hard so wait does um, connor have that issue not that, but remember when he said he was gonna he's gonna finish Red Hood until they got okay, together. And that's the one example. Up, I feel like Connor yeah. is far more like happy to drop things than either of us. <laughs> I think yeah, I think he's learned. I think he's learned to do that. And well, I I don't know. Stay tuned. You know, keep keep watching. You know, because that that's been the struggle is Matt versus the pull list. You know, uh, like the only reason I keep reading Batman is because Pete's still reading Batman. If Pete's not <laughs> reading Batman, I'd be happy. But you know, ah, but we have good conversations about it. We though. do, and that's why you know. And I wish, I wish a good conversation would come from these these tie-ins. And so far, outside of the Flash, I, I felt like the Flash one kind of stood on its own because it it did some fun things at the premise. This one tries, uh, and it's a you know these are the the Star City uh, characters, so we got a lot of arrows and um, I'm trying to think also the Justice Society shows up in this one because of of Emmy. So Emmy is still a you know friend of Stargirl, so that's how they get her into this. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to look at these creative teams as we have it going. Uh, and they have comic geeks used to oh, they still do. All right, so the first the first story is called Like Father, and it's the first half uh, of this. Not the first half, but there's four stories, and this one pays off in the back end with the backstory. And this is by Josh Williamson and Jamal Campbell, uh, and it so the arts great because it's jamal campbell drawing action sequences with green arrow and connor hawk um but 
it's it's those two going to the aquarium in Star City as this is going on uh, because um, they're they're fighting some of these creatures and they find out that they're the ones in Star City are a little bit different than some of the other ones uh, and that trail leads them to the aquarium where the resurrection twins are doing stuff and if you remember the uh, task force Z the two women that were in charge of that, uh, that those are the resurrection twins uh, and there's some stuff because this is written by Williamson that it made me take notice is that the resurrection twins noticed that Grafton Farm are claiming Metropolis and Manbat's claiming Gotham. So that's like, giving me a little peek of there seems to be some mad scienty, mad sciency like subplot going on in all of Williamson's books. Right, because you got, of course, in in Superman, we've, we've talked about that. But I didn't realize that Man Bat was such a big part of his Batman and Robin. I mean, I mean I'm assuming that's where it's going, because I don't see any other book that he's writing where that would pop up. Uh, but they're they're working on their their you know how they can make these you know Star City creatures better, and so a bunch of them get the drop on on Ollie and Connor, um, and then uh, as they're taking them out. Two of them uh, go into the Resurrection Twins, two of the the, sea, the, the Garo guys, and turns them into, like, sea otters. Um, and as as uh, Ollie uses a taser arrow to take them out, uh, a bunch of these other creatures attack him, and that's where that one ends. Uh, the second story is called Birds of a Feather, and it's by uh, Ryan, I think it's Perio? Or, yeah, no, no, Parrot with two T's. Uh, and Roger Cruz on the art. The, this is probably, the I would have to say, the strongest art. It's the thing that stuck with me the most uh, in this uh, one. But this is just Red Canary, um, who remember her from from other things. I think she was in Dark Crisis. I don't remember where she showed up. but um, It sounds familiar. I remember Red Canary yeah. existing. So it, it's Red Canary finally getting to team with Black Canary, who's her idol. And it's a lot of self-doubt for her um and her going through the motions of trying to be a hero but also not trying to make it worse and uh dinah has some words of encouragement for her uh until what looks like i'm, I'm guessing it's cheshire because they draw cheshire's beast form it's her I mean, it has to be her because it's her costume but she looks like the cheshire cat from alice in wonderland so that was a fun little artistic um fun little artistic take uh, but they drop down on an ambulance uh, that's full of people. So Dinah and, and Red Canary end up going um, and fighting them where one of the spores finds its way into to Dinah. And she becomes – if you had to guess what kind of animal she becomes, Pete, what would you guess? Uh... If, if you had a black bird – not quite a canary, but not quite a raven. You'd, you'd be correct. Would you also take a guess that she's still wearing the fishnets in the beast form? Well, because she is. I was trying funny. to think of something funny that was totally yeah. so far removed from being a yeah. canary that yeah. I, I I don't know, like uh, I don't know. Uh, I I feel like we've already had so many people transform into animals. Yeah. All the good ones have been yeah. taking. Um, yeah, you know, but she she ends up. I like I like to think that these Garo stars are, are they are kind of like a personality test so what they turn into kind of reveals something about them so nightwing turning into a fox that that 
I don't know what that says about him, but you know, I'm sure there's something. I'm sure psychologists could put something together. But yeah, so not only is she in a bird form, but she still has the canary cry. So of course she starts going nuts. Uh, and um, Red Canary has to try to get her under control, which she eventually does by you know making a stand against her, which makes the the big canary creature uh, go off on her own because you know she she's not a threat or anything. And Red Canary you know takes a, a deep breath and is like, okay, well we have to fix this. Uh, the the art here by Roger Cruz is is fantastic, which I'm trying to remember how we know Roger Cruz. Was it Flash or was it Batgirls? But I remember that name being pretty prominent in books we were talking about. Um, actually, I could probably click on his name and look and in case it doesn't jog uh, Pete's memory. Uh, but I definitely remember him doing Flash books. Uh... Robin. It was Robin. It was Robin, yeah. I was going to say his name definitely was yeah. popping up consistently for a while. And and he's going to be doing Outsiders. He's doing Outsiders 4, 5, and 6 coming up. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. But yeah, so the art here, it's really good. The the beasts look pretty pretty good. Uh, I mean, her her half canary with, with fish, uh, fish nuts on, you know, it kind of looks goofy, but I feel like that's the point. Uh, the, the third story is called The Jungle Society of America, and it's by Robert Venditti and Gavin Gudry. And it's Emmy and Stargirl and Huntress from uh, uh, from the Justice Society book taking on Judy, who's who's gotten a spore and has turned into an alligator, and Alan Scott, who's become a frog. And uh, the <laughs> yeah, so the frog on Alan is kind of funny. The rings on the tongue, right, uh, which ends up having payoff later. So Wait, hold on. when you they, say it's on the tongue. Is it like around the tongue or is it like a tongue piercing where he's got like a... It's it's around the tongue, like it's fitting okay. on his finger, but he has it out, out in anything. It's not on his hand anymore. And so the, the, you know, these members of the JSA show up. Both Huntress and Emmy uh, take out two of the, the spores uh, so they don't get Stargirl. Uh, but then the, the Judy Gator attacks and um, the Cosmic Rod starts going nuts. So... They're like, you know, still remember, these are still our friends, but it's also two of the most powerful members of the JSA. Um, at, at a certain point, um, uh, I'm trying to remember who, who it was. Oh, it's it's uh, Huntress that says, if you get if you can get Judy on her back, rub her belly, right? Which is a fun thing about alligators and crocodilians. And if you get them on their back and rub the belly, it puts them into a trance uh, state. And so Emmy's able to do that. She wrestles her down to the ground and uh, Emmy asks Huntress how she's able to, you know, why, why would you know that? To which Huntress responds, well, I have some, I have some interesting parents, right? Uh, and inferring Batman and Catwoman, uh, which, which leaves Alan now who, who whips his tongue like a whip around Stargirl and starts to pull her into his gullet. Um, they fire arrows at him, but the, the green energies around him to, uh, to it knocks the arrows off. And, uh, while, while star girls in his gullet, she ends up firing the cosmic radiation from the star rod or from the cosmic staff. And, uh, it, it essentially makes him throw her up and she has the ring in her hand. So he now just becomes a, a frog, uh, person. He's no longer a green, a green lantern frog. Uh, 
And uh, Huntress asked Stargirl how she knows this, and she goes, you know, from school. Uh, and then they, they, they laugh and say that they're sending him to the Star City Zoo. Um, so that's Venditti, ha- uh, Venditti. Venditti having a lot of fun with the JSA. Uh, I like though we got Emmy in here, and it felt natural. It didn't feel like she was wedged in with the JSA because she has been palling around with Stargirl. Um, and it was just it was nice to see those characters pop up here. And I'm wondering if they, they're bringing Stargirl to Star City also because it, it works. Like she's, as far as I remember, it, it's Nebraska with her, right? That's her her hometown. She doesn't really have anything to do with Star City or even Opal City. Um, yeah, no, nah, because that was, well, yeah. at least when Johns did the whole yeah. like, miniseries and stuff, it was all about right. her moving to that small town in Nebraska. Right, right. So uh, I think it was uh, inspired to get Stargirl into the Star City uh, thing. Uh, and now it, it ends with the, the final, which circles back around uh, to, it's called Like Sun, playing off the title of the first, by Ted Brandt and, uh, and Rose Stein, or it's just, it just has a Brandt and Stein, a story in art. And this is the back half of that story where now it's mainly focused on Connor, whereas the first one was focused on Ollie. Um, he takes out the, the these creatures um, and realizes that he kind of abandoned his dad which he starts reminiscing about how his dad abandoned him, uh, which which I get. It's a it's a big feeling for Connor Hawk, but I feel like every time, every time he gets brought up, this is the the solo story piece that we get with him, um, and and he's looking for how to deal with this, and he remembers that Robin had made him some Sonic adaptation earbuds, um, or or earplugs, uh, and I guess this was in the DC Pride. Uh, special, so it's nice that one of those stories is coming back around, you know. Um, and he ends up putting these beacons on the arrows, uh, and he fires them, and it draws the beast people away. Um, where he's finally able to get to his dad, um, and Ollie's able to free himself with his own arrows, um, and comments that you know he's he's proud of his son that he came back for him um, when he told him to leave him. So. Uh, and that he even made his own trick errors to do it. Um, and and it ends with them having a hug and uh, Ollie actually apologizing, you know, and he's like, you know, I know I don't have to, but I feel like this is what you need to hear. Um, and they end up going to an empty tank that's in the aquarium and rounding up all of the uh, all of the creatures with a um, with this specialized stuff that's in the tank. It's, it's water, but they end up having this arrow that has a polymer in it. And when they when they hit the the polymer hits the water, it turns it into like this gel that's able to to hold them in place. So they end up putting them in this tank in this gel, uh, and, and decide that when this is all over, they're gonna go have a, a meaningful talk. So um, it's a nice closure moment for Connor. So it gets a story point out, but as a whole for the for the for the tie-ins and right these are kind of like especially the red canary story it's not much going on here at least with the the ollie and connor story you know it it seems like there's some stuff moving forward with the characters um but yeah it's just another one of these tie-ins it's kind of hard to say that it's good because it's fine you know um but yeah that that art in the the red canary story by Cruz is a real a real high point so um, I'll give this a, 
Mm, I'll give this a 5.5. That's gushing praise. Sure. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, Detective Comics 1081, Ram V writing with Ricardo Federici and Stefano Raphael on the R. So, yeah, very interesting, this, actually. I I was surprised there was a backup when I got got to it. And the reason why I was surprised was because they did a thing here where when it switched to the B plot, and it switched artists. It actually said Huntress in and then gave it a mm-hmm. title as if it almost was a backup. It's just yeah. that it was interspersed throughout the issue. And I thought, oh, that's what they're doing. This is an interesting way of doing it. But then obviously I got to the end and there was still a backup. And I went, oh, okay, no, they just they gave the subplot a title for some reason, yeah. which is just a very, it's a very different way of doing it. It, it kind of yeah. worked, though. Yeah, I liked it because it was the stuff that was going on back in Gotham while Bruce is on this soul search yeah, he's on, a, he's on like a vision quest. A vision quest. That's what I meant thing. to say. Yeah, yeah so I, I do like that it does that because it, it is like the B plot does have to do with Bruce, but not really. So I'm glad that they they did the question stuff in its own art style, you know, and showing the impact that Batman and lack of Batman has had on the city while he's, you know, going through this, you know, series of, of hallucinations. So yeah, the Batman stuff. Uh, where he's in the desert that Tally has taken him to mm-hmm. as uh, the Federici art and it it gets into all this stuff where he's got two demons inside him, he's got the will for the asthma try to take over mm-hmm. and he's got the, the Barbatos bat demon to mm-hmm. try to keep him alive and as I've said before I always like to think of Barbatos yeah. less as an actual thing and more of just a, a representation of his you know yeah. like so- There's two demons always fighting inside of me, but it's essentially coffee and Taco Bell. But right now they're at a stalemate and they get along. So, you know, Bruce can't say the same. So, yeah, Talia leaves him, gives him some tea before she Mm -hmm. goes. Uh, But he basically has to do this journey through the desert where by the time he gets to the, the, the other side, one of the demons will have won. And obviously, presumably the bat's going to win unless mm-hmm. the story's going to take a weird turn afterwards which we're yeah. not expecting but that's which, what we would think as i was reading this i was like wow this is very similar to that story that that talia told damien way back when this arc started oh yeah yeah, yeah. like they, they set this up they talked uh-huh. about this desert way back in that flashback yep. story yeah so i'm liking all of this and and you know bruce going through this this realm where Dr. Hertz talking to him, which is like, okay, that's, that's different. So like, how did Hurt get in here? Um, well, well, if you think he's actually there, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is a piece of Bruce, right? That that's active. That's like, not that it's a third demon necessarily, but it is a representation of, of something in, in Bruce. And I, I do like that Ramby explores that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, like, all, all of this stuff is very... Obviously, it leads to a lot of great art where you see the Wolf, where you see Barbatos, and mm-hmm. uh, this idea that Bruce is going through all this. And meanwhile, in Gotham, we have Renee Montoya as the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, she, she's investigating a couple of things, particularly the 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 cop who killed the other cop, but obviously back at, you know about an arc or yep. two ago. She's investigating that, and she's looking into the, the perpetrator's mother, and eventually discovers that the perpetrator actually has killed himself. She finds him mm-hmm. in a like a it's like a storage, storage locker or something. Yep. Yeah, a storage unit uh, where we remember we saw Shavad tell him to go kill himself. 
after he killed the partner. Yeah, of course, of um, course, yeah. You know, uh, so we, we see where that goes. But it's interesting because Montoya, as she narrates this and she's talking about, like, looking for things, uh, she sometimes sort of, like, theorizes what the city is thinking. So we get mm-hmm. kind of, like, it's not really the city narrating, but it's, like, Montoya interpreting what the city might be narrating. And yeah. the city's talking about forgetting that, you know, it had something, it had a symbol mm-hmm. in the sky, and now it's gone. And Montoya's talking about how, you know, I'm not quite Batman, but, like, I'm all I'm all they've got right now, so I'm going to mm-hmm. do my best kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, you, you still see a criminal run away. Someone tries to mug the cop's mother and uh, so- gets scared and runs into the night because they think Batman's going to show up, but he's not there. Yeah, yeah and it's this thing where they're almost operating off of like their lizard brain right is that the batman is so entrenched into the gotham that was that even though he's not around and they're starting to forget him there's something deep in them that is telling these perpetrators to run and i got i ram v just has such a, a skill at, at putting that out there you know this whole idea of, of almost like it's not even a shadow but it's almost an echo of batman you know and it's, it's not going away without a fight it's interesting because you see like people at their windows looking up, like mm-hmm. hoping to see the signal. Uh, and this is right when she's doing the thing where she's like narrating as if the city's narrating mm-hmm. and saying, "Oh, there's something missing." People are looking up for hope, but it's not there. Mm-hmm. So it really does sell this idea of what's missing in Gotham if if Batman isn't there. Yeah, uh, yeah, all that stuff's really good. And then obviously when you go back to Batman and he's he's doing all this stuff where he's finding this really weird, creepy tree made up of people. And there's yeah. this mysterious character who happens to be there, who kind of gives him some some exposition. Um, it's it's all really interesting. It tells Batman he has to find himself, and all the rest of it. You've got Batman draping his cape across his like mouth, like he's uh, mm-hmm. well, like he's in the desert, I guess. But you yeah. know, it makes me think of Lawrence of Arabia. You know, putting the scarf mm-hmm. over your face because of the elements, yeah. kind of thing. So, so, so this guy just isn't a guy. This is the hero from the story that Talia told Damien. Oh, I, I did not remember that. Yeah. Uh, well, so that that issue made a huge imprint on me. It was one of my favorite issues of, of Ramby's run. This is what it was doing with, uh, what it was doing with the mythology and stories and all this other stuff. It was very on brand for Ramby. So the fact that this is coming back around, and that you know, oh yeah, he 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 is playing the long the, game for sure. Yeah. He always was. <clears throat> so you remember in that parable that she tells in the story is that that Farhad went across the desert. To to save his law, lo- you know, his lost love. But by the time he gets to her, she has died, and his, you know, it, it's almost for nothing. So the fact that he's here talking to Farad, and <clears throat> where Talia brought him, right to this desert when he gets back, it's very clear that Batman's love is Gotham, right? And now the stakes are there that you know he's going to finish out the story, and when he gets back to Gotham, it's not, it's going to be dead. It's not going to be his Gotham. You know, and so just for for Ramvi to tell that story through this through this vision quest, you know, to Batman potentially returning to a Gotham that's not his, it, it you know, and he's gonna have to show them the fear again. It made me very excited to see where this is going. Yeah, well, it's not just that though, because he does say to him that the Batman is dead, but the myth may never mm-hmm. die as long as there's people who are refusing to forget, and that's kind that ties in nicely right. to what the B plot in this issue is. It's Montoya mm-hmm. and some people in the city looking up for the signal and trying to remember. Now, yeah, mm-hmm. they might like forget. By the time Batman gets back, maybe he does have to sort of take right. it back again. Um, but 
it's an int- it's, yeah it's, it's very much this kind of hero's journey kind of thing of like being broken mm-hmm. down as much as he ever has been yep. only for him to have to build himself back up that's kind of what we're doing here mm-hmm. uh but all this art the coloring's very good it plays with the idea of the orange glow of the fire but yep. then when he's back walking away from the fire again it's all blue and stuff mm-hmm. um just some gorgeous artwork here uh the page where he's walking across the top of the sand dunes and then it kind of forms into the city, and, and that kind of leads to our, our cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which is that in his vision quest here, Batman has stumbled upon a version of Gotham City that Batman has saved. Uh, and mm-hmm. we see, like, the Court of Owls. Well, actually, I don't know if they are the Court of Owls. There's... I don't know, but they're wearing very Court of Owls-esque masks. Yeah, right? but I'm, I'm doubting it now, though, because it's... Do- yeah. So Dr. Hart's been carried on, like, a, a throne um, yeah. by all these goons. And I thought they were Court of Owls when I read this, but now that I'm looking at it again, yeah. and because they're seemingly working for Dr. Hart, and again, yeah. this isn't a real place. This is all just, right. you know, Batman's vision quest. But mm-hmm. I'm now looking at the mass again, and I'm thinking, you know what? They're not actually quite the Court of yeah. Owls. I think they're actually just his people, technically. Yeah, that, and that, that could be that too. They're very... They kind of remind me of the Dollatrons from Professor Pig too. You mm. know, the, the, the mannequin faces, kind of. Uh, but yeah, no, I was getting Court of Owl vibes too when I first read this, and then you look closer, and then again, they can't be by accident, you know. I feel like you know. I mean, probably it, not. I mean, the Court of Owls are so like tied to the city as mm-hmm. well, and then this right. final panel at the bottom of the page is like a Batman demon who you know. So yeah. this version of the city that's been saved, it's not like someone who looks like Batman who's doing it. It's literally right. a Bat demon, uh, yeah. if not Barbados himself. Exactly. Uh, so you know, like. I think this idea of of him, like sometimes these vision quest type stories, uh, if they're not done well, I think it's very very easy for them to feel kind of like they're up their own ass. Yep. Um. So far, I'm not feeling that with this. Partly because the art is gorgeous. Partly because yeah. it's playing on themes that we've been we've been working with with this run for a long time. Um, even though I didn't remember this character from that that issue, I remembered that issue in the desert and the, the parable being told. So I still got this sense of it coming mm-hmm. back round, even without some of the details being in my memory still. So I think that stuff's all great. Obviously, the art change here is used effectively, where it is a very, mm-hmm. very different setting. And not even just a different setting, but like a different state of mind. Like the, the Batman stuff, like we say, it's Vision Quest. It's all kind of like open to interpretation all of it's in his head it's is very much a almost mystical thing but gotham on the other hand that's literally the reality of what's happening there mm-hmm. so this is one of the most sort of justified art yeah. differences between two plot lines that i've seen in a comic mm-hmm. so for sure yeah that, that that stuff's all all very good but uh um also want to see that uh talia when she you know sets bruce off right with with the people in the desert and gives him the tea Gives gives her proper name, which is Tal Yahe. So of course I googled what that means, and of and course it, you did. <laughs> yeah, right. So for us all, ghoul, and that translates to the demon's head, right? Uh, Tal Yahe uh, translates to tears of the gods. So like Roz, Roz has a thing with names. Like this dude knows. He knows how to how to make things sound impressive. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting as well, given that. You know, there's these demons fighting in Bruce, right? But the, the lady that brought in there is named after, you know, Tears of the Gods, which which goes into that story of, you know, the gods sending Farad on that quest to get his lost love, you know? And so it just, again, it's Ram B tying everything back around. It's almost like a movement in a song, right? Uh, 
and and yeah, dude, just he's he's just killing every time. This is one of my favorite Batman stories in a long time. Yeah, I would even mention there is actually a page of Batman fighting the the wolf mm-hmm. demon, uh, yeah. the Asmer. Uh, and he knows it'll come back, but he does seemingly mm-hmm. win for now, even though it's weakened yeah. him greatly. And this is before he he finds the tree and he has the all yeah. the deep conversations about about the city and all the other mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. So, now all, all very curious stuff. This yeah. is the sort of thing that when you read this run from start to finish in collected form, mm-hmm. uh, this stuff is just going to sing even better. I think. Yeah, it's gonna feel so fulfilling, you know. Yep. Uh, so main story is great. Uh, the backup, which I did read, uh, mm-hmm. is Dan Waters. Uh, basically, it's basically this idea that there's a support group all talking. Uh, and it, honestly, it's quite clear from the start. I think to the readers yeah. what's going on. But the over the course of the the backup, all the people at the support group realize they're all talking about the same person. The, the same person has ruined all of their lives, and that mm-hmm. is uh, Doctor Hart. Uh, it starts off with this wife who finds out that the the marriage was a sham. And that Dr. Hurt had been lying to her and just disappeared uh, one day um, mm-hmm. after she couldn't get pregnant for the third time. He wanted a child. Uh, and then the second guy, this was the one that really stuck out to me, uh, is someone who wanted to be a vigilante slash superhero like one of the back characters. So wanted training and this mysterious person decided to train them. It turns out this was Dr. Hurt, of course. And this all boiled up to the night he gets his costume on, Dr. Hurt hands him a grappling hook, but there's no actual rope on there's the no hook. There's no rope. Yeah. So the guy just falls. Not to his death. We see him with the Mm-mm. big back brace on and like the head. And the halo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's like completely been broken and mm-hmm. is never going to live a normal life. That that one especially felt very dark to me. Yeah. Uh, well, because because if you remember your your Doctor Hurt story from R.I.P. was he was trying to build a better Batman. So the idea like here that he gave this man a grapple gun with no rope, like was that his idea of creating trauma, or or what? Like I don't know what that part of making him into his own Batman was. You know, or or is this just to poison the city? I mean, I didn't really have an idea of why he did gotcha. it, um, yeah. but it, it, to me, it, it almost felt like something the Joker would do. It felt like yeah. a sick joke, like a really dark, sick yeah. joke. Uh, but, yeah, so, um, and then the last person was someone who Dr. Hurt, like, did an exorcism to, but it was someone who wasn't possessed, so it was actually yeah. the real, it was the person's actual personality or soul, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that got taken out with the exorcism. So now the person that was left afterwards was someone with no memory and everything had been taken from. But the ending revelation is that, uh, yeah, Dr. Hart is, was the same person. It was, it was him and mm-hmm. all of these stories. Uh, so this is to be continued, so we'll see where this goes from here. I, I mean, this was a very intriguing story. Um, maybe as the backup goes on into part two or three or whatever, we'll get a, yeah. a sense of why he was doing all of these things yeah. specifically. And there was a fourth person who said they're not ready to talk about it yet. Yes, so, yeah. So presumably we'll get more of them as well. We'll get more of that, and and yeah, this this almost felt like the darkest version of the Doom Patrol I've ever seen. You know, because it's all these people that had accidents around Doctor Hurt. You know, um, mm. and and it's led them to this place. So, uh, but yeah, uh, crazy, crazy. I, I really like the art here. It, it's got this. Uh, it's it's Hayden Sherman. But there's this, there's this, again, not quite pulpy, but there's a very, like, like heavy lines and how it works with the coloring 
and the layouts and, and all of that, just everything blends together. Um, it's almost like a, not, not pulpy, but almost like pop art kind of style. Uh, and, and I think it, it does a really good job of telling the story here. Yeah, I thought the art worked quite well too. It's 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 sort of like um, there's this fine line almost between mm-hmm. the type of art like this that I don't like versus what mm-hmm. I do, and this is on the yeah. side that I do. But yeah. when I look at this, I can sort of compare it almost to a very flat style of art that I don't like, and say I'm not, you know I'm not even sure what I can describe what this does that the alternative doesn't that makes mm-hmm. it work for me. Maybe maybe it's just enough detail. Yeah. Uh, versus whatever, but it's still it's a very flat style, you know, in terms of the colors. If you look at the faces mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, but anyway, the 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 end of the story, other than them realizing that they're all there because of Doctor yeah. Hart, is that uh, what you know? What the one of them's like? Hey, do we have it? What do we have it? And is to to kill this prick? Do we mm-hmm. want revenge? Are we going to go and try and kill him? Uh, although specifically calls calls him the devil. So devil, right. uh, it, it really sets up Dr. Hurt as this big bad that's done mm-hmm. all these horrible things to all these people. So it was very effective yeah. in, mm-hmm. in that. For sure. Yeah. No. Interesting. Interesting to see how this ties in. I mean, obviously I know Dr. Hurt's coming up in the main story right now, but he's yeah. not really there. No. So it's, it's But we did get teases from Ram V in that story that he drew about Hurt being in play. We did. We did. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, we'll 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 see. Uh, but that is Detective Comics, Matt. What are you giving the issue? Hold on to your butts. This is a nine point five. Whoa. Okay, that's very. I high. really enjoyed this issue. Uh, yeah, this is very good. Uh, it's it's very pretty. The backup solid as well. Um, I don't think I'm going to go as high as you though. I think I'm mm. going to go with an easy eight point five for me. Yeah. But uh, it is very very good. So. Uh, cool. All right. The Flash, issue five, legacy number 805. This is Cy Spurrier mm. and Mike Diodoto Jr. Um, I feel like this book is very good at throwing too many details at me. So that yep. there's, there's always at least a few things that I'm not entirely... Like, I get it in the moment when I'm reading it, but if I try and describe them now in hindsight, I'm going to struggle. It's uh, like a dream where you're like, did, did I read that? Did that come to me in a... It's, it's so, very weird that way. The main focus of this, so the, the main character of this issue is Jay, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wally's son. Yep. And it's him in school, and it's exploring his powers, which introduces... I'm not sure if this is entirely new, but mm-hmm. he kind of, like, splits up into little, like, blood men. Yeah, they meet men. <laughs> uh, well, it was making me think of, uh, of all things, there's a really crappy vampire movie from the early 90s mm-hmm. called Subspecies. Where the vampire's blood makes these little blood goblins that can do stuff for him. Is that was where Radu me... comes from? That's that's where Radu comes from. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Radu's the one who has the thanks, blood. Thanks to thanks to Tim, I am aware of Radu. So <laughs> thank thank you, bud. Yeah. So uh, basically, Jay, you know, one of his powers is that he can sort of like teleport to another speedster, mm-hmm. and that happens throughout this issue. You know, we, we see him sort of towards Wally and Wally's helping mm-hmm. Mr. Terrific and Co. with the science experiment. We see him go to some of the others uh, and bounce back and we get sort of his thoughts. But the main thing is that he is interacting with this other character who knows a lot about his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to get to the page with his name. Uh, here we go. Inspector Pilgrim, who is a science yep. detective and he's got this big uh bowl hat is what i'm going to kiss it's like even a yeah. big bowl on his head you can't even see it you can't see him it's a, it looks like a lampshade almost which i think is intentional i think yeah 
I wouldn't be surprised if this is going to turn out to be someone that we know yes. uh, who isn't you know just called Pink Pilgrim. Although maybe there's a hint in the name, I, I'm not sure. I'm not recognizing something. So I thought the only Pilgrim that comes to mind is is I, I could have sworn there was a Flash character with last name Pilgrim, but then I remembered I think that was the Pilgrim that I remember is from the the Bendis book Powers, which has well, nothing to do with Flash. Yeah, I wasn't thinking literally it'd be someone else with that same name. I was mm-hmm. thinking it's just like a hint, because you know, in yeah. terms of like what the word means or something like that. Yeah, right. but um. I, Regardless, it, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, he he clearly knows stuff from the future, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as he's talking to Jay, but the, the big thing with Jay here is kind of him. It's kind of like a, a soul searching issue for Jay, where he's looking at all the other speedsters. He's seeing how special his sister is. He's seeing how special Barry and Wally are, and even talking about how he's not really je- jealous of his new baby. Uh, sister of Wade or uh, brother. brother, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like, yeah, he's feeling a little alienated because he's you know he's now the the middle kid. Well, mm-hmm. they're, well, they're twins, so not really middle, but you know what I mean. But he does have middle child syndrome because he's feeling yeah. like he doesn't know what his place is in the family, right? Because he doesn't have speed force powers per se, like Irie does. Yeah. You know. And, well, that's, and, some, that's something he talks about a lot in the issue is that yep. he he's connected to the speed force, but in a way that's different mm-hmm. from everyone else. Yep. He can't just run through it. But as uh, in- Inspector Pilgrim tells him, mm-hmm. no, you you don't attach to the speed force in a linear fashion like everyone else does. You kind of manipulate it. In fact, the aliens, the 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 light aliens that we see yep. again when the science project goes clubbly, um, they call him a shaper. Oh, there's a shaper here. Which kind of, mm-hmm. which is kind of suggesting that he can manipulate reality in a way that's very important, and maybe that's going yeah. to be a big deal. Fa- oh, or or I say, the speed force in a in a, I, of itself. I say maybe. Obviously, yeah. it's going to be a big deal in this run because Spurrier's yes. seeding it here. So obviously, yeah. it is. But it, it feels like they're setting something big up for Jay here, which is which is interesting. Um, but the big, the, the real big thing about this issue though is him thinking about his plays, and the issues called top priority. And it's something that's a phrase that's thrown around a little bit. Uh, Wally says it to to Bart when he's worried about Max and him being trapped in this other dimension. And then when Jay talks to Wally and Wally tries to reassure him, he calls him his top priority. And then his narration says, yeah, me and everyone else. And it's kind of getting to the heart that he doesn't feel like he is like top priority, right? That's the point. Mm-hmm. Is he doesn't feel like he's his dad's sole concern. So... Uh, it all builds up to at the end to him telling his dad that he doesn't want to be a superhero, right? Yeah. No, admittedly, he's young enough. He can change his mind. But it does feel... It's definitely played like it hits Wally hard when it, when he says this to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not even like it was a dialogue. It's just it's just the art. The art does a great yep. job here where Wally's face is kind of in shadow. And it, it, it looks like he's... I wouldn't say disappointed, but certainly... No. He's solemn, it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so. and, and I like the, the opposite of that. It's, it's next to it, but it's Inspector Pilgrim and Jay back on the school bench. And Jay's clearly crying and Pilgrim's looking so uncomfortable, you know? Um, is is uh, it possible this is just older Jay? Yeah, maybe. Because cause he knows a lot about Jay. He keeps hinting at it. So. Yeah. And apparently, so I looked up this Inspector Pilgrim uh, and on the wiki article, and granted wikis can be whatever, uh, they say that the first actual appearance is him as the inspector in issue one of this run. So, oh, okay. Um, so this is something that's been seeded, which is which is nice. Interesting, um, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, because I mean, obviously, I've glossed over some of the big action moments, like uh, like I said, the science experiment mm-hmm. that Wally's doing with Mister Terrific and the scientists. Uh, mm-hmm. The what are they called? The stillness. That's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, the sort of the the different colored alien, and I say alien, interdimensional aliens mm-hmm. specifically yeah. show up, and they call uh, Jay a shaper, like I said, yeah. but they also like start reacting when they see him yeah. they kind of they kind of make him split up into those little blood men that we were uh-huh. talking about and wally basically is about to go supernova with the speed force like he's mm-hmm. he's vibrating he's collecting speed force energy it's like he's about to shatter the world and that's something jay brings up later is that wally yeah. would have went supernova to get him back and it's only because jay reformed and said no 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 i'm fine i'm fine like i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm good like it, it's just a thing i can do <laughs> yeah uh, but I do like that because that does drive point the home with with him. Is like uh, even though, even though he didn't want to be a hero and stuff, his dad's operating from a, a spot of, you know, his kids, his family do mean the world to him, you know, and that extends to the Flash family. And I think Jay is the, the you know, the Sai Spurrier uses Jay as that you know, anchor point here. And I figure that's that's how he's going to be because Jay is a he can touch the Speed Force from different angles right than what we're used to and he's i feel like he you know him being representative of that not having the speed force powers being so different not wanting to follow in the family footsteps i figured that's going to be wally's kind of reminder of why he does all of this uh and and i mean i I might just be you know taking more from the story but that's what i got out of the story at the end where he you know he would have shattered the world for me uh, and I, and it was just a very nice sentiment in a in a you know in this very kind of weird science fictiony superhero book. It's it's interesting because this book as a whole has definitely had you, you used the word solemn earlier, and I think mm-hmm. solemn kind of describes the tone of this Flash run so far. And I kind of like it because it's different mm-hmm. from what Flash usually feels like. So I, I've been kind of digging that. I'm also loving that it is giving more time to the kids. Like you know, this was a very mm-hmm. J focused issue, obviously. Iris had a bit of focus before, and I expect I expect that both kids are going to get a lot of focus yep. as time goes on, particularly their relationship with Wally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bit, I mean, the, the run so far, its biggest sin is that it's got all this sciencey stuff going on. Yep. It does feel like it, it hits you with it so quickly and so so fast mm-hmm. at points that like I don't remember the exact context the first time the stillness showed up because there was so many yeah. things being thrown at me in issue one and two. I, yeah, I feel like I have to I go back and read that were, again. There were speed force gorillas and someone running around, and and then they boom, they're there. And I was like, "There's this is a lot to take in." Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot going on, but I'm really loving the art. I think mm-hmm. the moodiness of it, and like you say, the reactions on the faces are doing a lot of heavy lifting. That page where Wally is going supernova and collecting mm-hmm. speed force energy looks gorgeous. Uh, yep. There's a lot of great pages like that. It's not like. It's not up there with some of the best artists that, or some of my favorite artists just because it's not 100% consistent. But right. when it's on, it's really on. And the overall yeah. aesthetic is very, very nice. So really appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a whole scene with Grodd that we should probably mention a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting that, there. I, yeah, I thought you were yeah. going to jump in. But no, you, I was trying <laughs> to cover it for you, but I had to, I had to find the page. Okay, so, um, so, so it's the first time... Yep. Jay jumps pretty much. He jumps. Mm-hmm. Well, second time I should say, he jumps to basically. Wally is trying to talk to Grodd and get some information about 
um, what the other guerrillas were doing because there's, there's been like an uprising. It gets in a little bit to like like what Grodd and some of the other apes' beliefs are. Like they've got mm-hmm. um, what was the the name of the thing? He says he says here because he he attacks. Uh, Wally. Oh, I've got the word. It's the Miengu. Uh, yeah. The Miengu prophesized that I would break my enemy's heart before devouring it. And he kind of, because he basically Grodd senses that Jay's there on the other yeah. side of the glass before Wally knows he's there mm-hmm. and starts making these sort of vague sort of threats about him. Yep. And uh, so um, he's, you know, the slaughter of the sun would be apt um, and to where, where Jay starts messing with all these dials in this room, not dials, but like instruments um, and that, uh, what does this end up doing? Because does he? End up, yeah, that ends up helping them. You know, get get Grodd back under control. Um, kind well, of buying time. Yeah, what he does right? is, well, <laughs> you, what he does is he turns on the microphone. He's, he's not just yes, playing with random things. That's that's what he does. Yeah. He turns on the microphone and calls through and asks Grodd why he does yeah. what he does. <laughs> And that's, Grod, that's right. Grod basically calms down and says, hmm, in all these years of fighting the Flash right. and other heroes, no one's ever actually just asked me that. And then he goes in to explain it a little bit. Um, yeah, and that, that's what I wanted to get to. That's what the part I was getting to that got me distracted was he, you know, he, he calls himself by his real name, which I don't think I've ever heard Grod refer to himself as that, as uh, Mawenye. He's the father of the professor. He's a silverback. You know, so basically... It it runs a parallel with Wally that why Wally does everything he does is for his family in this other twisted way. So does Grodd, right? He's trying yeah. to do what's best for his troop. Yeah, but Grodd describes it though as being a slave to his family, where it's this constant yeah. burden to actually like right. do everything for them and be the best for them. And mm-hmm. I think that ties into what Wally's story is because the whole thing yeah. we had the last couple of issues was that Wally was escaping reality and going to that Flash mm-hmm. Garden where he was yep. effectively just ignoring the world and like getting away from it, almost mm-hmm. like a, a coping mechanism, an unhealthy one at that, because right. it, it seems like he was sort of getting lost in it until someone snapped him out of it. So there's definitely some parallel. I mean, that, I think thematically this this conversation with Grodd does yep. have a lot to, to lend to the main story with uh, with Wally. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So now that seemed like a scene that we should have talked, just talk about a bit yep. before we, we wrap up, because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like a big deal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing where there's, there's these rough edges to this run constantly, but yeah. it's always doing something interesting, and I'm always kind of intrigued by what it is doing. So, Yeah, I liked what Spurrier does here with, with Jane, and it doesn't make him feel like so much like an anomaly, right? Because I always felt like Irie getting all the speed powers, but he could, like, get strong, you know? Um it always felt weird, so I do I do appreciate that Spurrier found a way to tie him back to the Speed Force, and he just he interacts with it differently than the rest of the family, you know. And that's kind of what we always had with it, but that he goes around and he he can alter it, whereas they're they're much more passive. He's much more, you know, um, what's the opposite of passive? Is it is active? I guess it'd be active, right? He's much more active in in the Speed Force. Uh, than they are, and uh, and what that means for him and his dad's relationship is almost like at the end there he feels like there's almost too much responsibility in what he has and what he does to be a superhero, right? So going back and talking to this and looking at it from that angle is he doesn't want to be a superhero he wants to be something more, right? 
maybe that's a keeper of the speed force. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a time traveling hero called inspector Pilgrim, you know, uh, not, not like his, his dad. Uh, so it definitely gives a different light to that entire conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if he's got a cat and set in mind about what he wants to be, but I think it's just this realization that he, he can't just be that, you know, whether that's right. because he wants to be more normal, normal or something yeah. else and entirely. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's, um, I forgot. I was going to say something there. Gotcha. And I forgot about, about him. Uh, you said, you think there's something more there? Uh, that's a way. Oh, well, if, gotcha. it, if it's important, it'll come back it, next issue. It went away into the speed force itself. It'll come back next issue. If it's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see, uh, where it goes, but it, it's definitely an interesting run so far, if mm-hmm. nothing else. Like it's, it's, I've always been intrigued when I'm reading it, even if it's not always the, the smoothest reading yeah. experience. Cause sometimes it's a bit clunky with this dialogue, yeah. you know, it, it, I will say that this one wasn't as clunky as some of the others have been. Like this one didn't take me that as long to read as some yeah, of the other ones have. I don't think the last one was either. I think yeah. I think this these last two were easier to read than the first three. Yeah. But. I would agree there. Because I think we said the same thing because the last one was, was Jesse and, and Ivy, right? Going around the the Flash Girls. Uh yes. Okay. Yeah. Well. I, I really enjoyed that one. I think we said the same thing, but that was a lot easier to digest uh, because he wasn't throwing a million things at us here. Though superior does throw a bunch of stuff, but I feel like he articulates it well enough and the art, the Diodato, it works in balance enough that even though it's a lot of things, it doesn't feel like a lot. So yeah, uh, but yeah, this is, this is definitely a flash run. I won't forget. Now, will I remember the ins and outs exactly? Probably not, but for what he's doing and, and adding kind of these layers to the character, uh, I definitely won't forget it. Yeah. Uh, so, were you given the Flash issue I'm, five? I mean, it's seven point five. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm happy enough to give it the eight. Uh, even with even with some some faults, like I, I think it, the the run's growing on me, and hopefully it can keep nudging. Um, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where I hope by the time it's done, I'll be like, I'll look back at it all and go, you know what. That that was that was kind of special and different, and it'll read even better in a second time when I I've already mm-hmm. got kind of a, a feel for it, kind of thing. So, all right, Green Arrow issue eight, Legacy number three four one, by my count. This is uh, Joshua Williamson writing with Phil Hester on the art. Uh, take it away, Matt. So, so Hester definitely bringing that that Green Arrow from the the nineties vibe here. So that was ah, that was okay. real nice. Um. But here it opens up with, with Connor in a sling and um, Oliver full of bullet holes from Onomatopoeia. And uh, we're led to believe that Onomatopoeia got the drop on them and killed Ollie. And now Connor is going to swear vengeance upon his dad. Um, so he goes around the city looking for who hired him. And this is where Hester really, really excels is the layouts and the action sequences because the main one is he's as Connor's looking is this uh, black and white and green are the main colors done in like negative space. So like it's making sound waves. It's almost like onomatopoeia's mask. Right. Um, and and uh, like it shows him fighting in this bar. But then there's this black strip in the middle where he's escaping into, you know, like a like an airport. 
Um, and it's just done with negative space and white. And then, uh, more, more of an action, uh, more of an action sequence, uh, as he's, you know, coming into all these contacts, which leads him to onomatopoeia getting onto this yacht, um, where brick is waiting. Right. And, and onomatopoeia gets there and, I, I just like how quirky of a villain Onomatopoeia is because he only talks in those sounds, right? So when when Brick is celebrating, he's got a bottle of champagne. He pops it to where you know Onomatopoeia has to say the pop, and uh, Brick makes fun of him kind of for this, and uh, he shows Onomatopoeia shows Brick the uh, the the corpse photos of of Ollie um, as they're going. Uh, as they're heading out on the boat, they they hear this this revving of an engine, which of course Anamapia copies as well, and uh, it leads to Connor on a smaller speedboat ramming at full speed into Brick. Um, he goes to fight uh, Brick. Brick runs. He fights Anamapia, where uh, he, now Connor gets shot. And there's just a loud bang. Uh, the police end up on this this yacht. Uh, Brick ends up taking a a, uh, a helicopter. They drop down as the police are, are surrounding. Um, he gets up on the letter where a green arrow slices through the uh, slices through the the rope ladder. And Anamapia is standing there with a bone arrow, mask up, and it's in fact Ollie. Uh, who, who says that he can finally take this mask off because it was making his beard itch. Uh, so this was all just a ruse to find out who who had a, a hit out on Ollie, is that him and Connor, even though he got the drop, they defeated Onomatopoeia super easy. They took his stuff uh, and led on, led on this goose chase to figure out that it was Brick. Um, and... Uh, Brick drops on him. He's like, "Hey, you can't leave me out on this boat. It's sinking. I don't swim very well, being you know that he's he's made of brick." Uh, and then he hears that one of his other kids, his redheaded step kid, uh, is running around with his ex, uh, looking for. Um, says your girl left with his ex the last time I saw him, or with his ex. And uh, he goes, "What are you talking about? He's not out in hiding. He works for Waller now, and it shows Arsenal." Or Red Arrow, whatever we're calling him at this point. Uh, it's, it's Arsenal, right? It's just Roy. But I believe Emmy's using Red Arrow now. So, uh, oh, God, I can't keep track of all the Red fine. Arrow Arsenal yeah. characters and what names they're like using right the, now. He's, he's the worst one, right? Emmy, Emmy's the true Red Arrow at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, it shows him um, launching arrows at these, these military dudes, and it just teases the next issue, the assault on the Hall of Justice. So... Seems like Roy is working for Waller in some way. Who who knows at this point? Hmm. Um, this is the most coherent. This kind of ever since I got out of the time traveling stuff, this book's hasn't been a chore to read. Like I was feeling something was off when they when they kill Ollie and they kill Connor, and I was like, "There's <clears throat> there's no way any of this is true." For it to end up being like this undercover sting thing, I'm like, eh. "I mean, I guess that's fine." Um, you know, but it's leading to a bigger story with with Waller and Arsenal and, and all of those threads that Williamson's had dangling. So at least it's moving the story forward that way. Uh, Hester's art's really good. The action sequences 
are are fantastic. His brick looks unlike any other character uh, or any other rendition of brick that I've seen, which is nice. But it helps that Hester's style is really heavy and and squarey, and so is you know, um, so is brick. So it just it kind of works together. Uh, and even even all the angles on Ollie and stuff when he pulls off the mask and his beard, you know, comes down to the point. You know, it's all just very recognizable as Hester. So, um, I actually kind of enjoyed this. Uh, and I, I was on the fence. Like, no, no one else is reading this. Connor's not on the show as much. And, and Pete's definitely not. Um, I think I'm stuck reading this for now. I think I've fallen <laughs> into that trap. Because I'm, I'm invested in where this goes. Um, so, yeah. So, if I'm reading it, I'll give this a solid 7. All right. Okay, well, The Penguin, issue six, mm-hmm. Tom King writing with Stephen Subic, or Subic, or I don't know how you say his name, uh, on the art. So, new arc, obviously we, we wrapped yep. up the collecting of everyone, uh, and then this takes an interesting turn where this, at least for one issue, goes into the past. Mm-hmm. This goes into kind of the start, or at least uh, the main part of how Penguin became the crime boss penguin and mm-hmm. does an interesting thing where it's very, very tied to Batman and yep. how Batman kind of put him in the position that he, we all think of him as being in, in the modern comics, which is the guy running the iceberg lounge and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very interesting. So what did you make of this? So I, I like the story. I like what it did. I don't necessarily. So my, my idea of penguin is he's, he's part of the older families of Gotham. He's that old money. So King coming in and making him more of a self-made guy, I think that redefines uh, Oswald as a character. I think that it's a, a positive. Um, having him tied so much to Batman, I don't know if I like, and maybe that'll pay off down the line. I th- yeah, I think that just depends where it goes, like yeah. what, what he's got planned with that. Because like, I don't dislike any of the particular things in mm-hmm. this issue by any means. I, I think you know, the whole idea that Falcone was working, or sorry, mm-hmm. Penguin was working. Penguin was working for Falcone. Uh, had been promoted to serving drinks, but had been working as a cleaner at Falcone's place, which mm-hmm. is the Iceberg Lounge. I might add. Yeah, for, which for, they just keep on the lounge, right? So yeah, for, it ties for, them to it for quite some time. And I mean, Penguin coming up from nothing certainly not new. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, yeah. this whole he comes from old money in Gotham mm-hmm. has been. That's actually more of the the more modern take on Penguin, right? I think. Uh, whereas this is maybe going back to something closer to what mm-hmm. it was before, but certainly with its own spin on it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think what was really neat about the opening scene is that Penguin's like you know behind the bar serving this drink, mm-hmm. and we're hearing this narration, and I kind of liked that. I couldn't tell for a while. I, I thought, uh-huh. I thought it was because of, because of the format. Sorry. Uh, are you talking about the the narration? Yeah, yeah I'm talking about the narration. Yeah, I, yeah. So I thought because the format of the book has been always that someone mm-hmm. else has been narrating, I still kind of assumed that was the case. Yep. But the narration here in the opening page, which does turn out to be from Falcone, mm-hmm. it could have been Penguin for so long that it was almost making me like question: Wait, are we switching to doing Penguin narration now? Now that we're in a new arc, are we dropping that? And and that's kind of, that's kind of interesting that we are dropping. It if we are, we don't. It is actually still someone else in the scene. It's it's Falcone, 
But because yeah. he's talking as a mob boss and because he's talking uh, down about other people, it was like, this sounds like it could be Penguin. It wasn't until he started criticizing how Penguin looked that I went, mm-hmm. oh, okay, it's, it's Falcone who's talking in the narration. So yeah. I, I thought that was uh, Yeah, I did that whole take. thing where I was like, I don't... I don't think it's Penguin because that would break kind of the, the what we've been doing. But also, maybe it's the detective and we're going to get like a counter story. But then I was like, no, this is not the detective. They can't stop swearing, right? And then when it's revealed that he's stirring the drink, not receiving the drink, and it clicks, I thought that was a really nice reveal. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever, th- I never really thought about the detective because I, I think I already got that this was like a, like a mm-hmm. flashback story so you know because gotcha. the, the detective obviously is the because if at hell i mean a lot of the stuff uh that we've already read in the book mm-hmm. is like sort of uh, uh yeah whatever anyway the point yeah, is the point is is um this very much follows where penguin was and how he's constantly picked on uh he has this there's this old woman who keeps takes care of some birds mm-hmm. on a rooftop and Penguin goes back there, and we get her narration, and she seems to be obsessed with thinking every man that comes up to the roof mm-hmm. wants to kiss her. Um, Give her the old dirty kisses. Yeah, dirty kisses is the exact yeah. phrase. That's not actually what anyone wants, but it's what yep. she keeps thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but she brings up that she saw the Batman, and this gives Penguin uh, an idea of sorts um, to... To, to lure Batman in and uh, and, mm-hmm. and talk to him, which he basically, you know, it, it forms this partnership where Penguin mm-hmm. wants to sort of uh, tell him stuff. Uh, you know, he wants to get one over in Falcone yeah. by feeding him information and Batman can, can you know, take out the bad guys and also mm-hmm. pay him potentially, which mm-hmm. we know he can do because he's Bruce Wayne. Right. Uh, but they make this deal, and then the middle of the issue is very much Batman's narration talking about how he's using Penguin's intel and how he's even training Penguin to ask better questions mm-hmm. or listen for the right kinds of information. Uh, and, you know, eventually it leads to him taking down big players in Falcone's operation. We see him as matches Malone in the mm-hmm. bar, uh, make, keeping an eye on Penguin and making sure that he's doing what he's doing. Uh all of this was was entertaining enough. It was fun mm-hmm. seeing how all this played out, and I think ultimately when it, when it gets down to like Batman's like should he trust Penguin or not? Because Penguin mm-hmm. does technically lie about a couple of things, but Batman yep. catches them on it, uh, particularly about who the woman is because he says mm-hmm. it's his mother, and Batman's like, no, she's not, and he's like, well, she's like a foster mother, and I kind of call her mum because mm-hmm. uh, this reason or that reason, so. It's very much this play that Penguin's making to use this new, more colourful character who's in Gotham to sort of take one out on Falcone. In fact, the the opening narration for Falcone at the very start of the book is him complaining that after all he's built, some idiot throwing boomerangs, as he calls them, is ruining everything. So this is very much set during Batman Year One. In fact, there's even a... There's a line from Batman at one point that, oh, some of Falcone's, like, uh, like his brother led some men into Ace Chemicals and one yeah. of his goons fell into the vat of acid. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's just a how, little... How this part parts in to the Tom King Garrett's Joker story, too. Like, yeah, it's I interesting, was, isn't it? Yeah. It, 
you know, that was pretty cool. I liked that. Um, but, but yeah, and the, the stuff with Falcone and, and, uh, you know, being, being so basically being so spread thin because of what Oswald's doing and helping Batman, um, that whole, the whole motif of, of him, uh, constantly wanting to serve. Right. So like when, when Bruce is pleading, you know, you gotta, you gotta let me help the, the mother figure. And he's like, I'm, I'm important. And Bruce is like, you're, you're a bartender. And I goes, no, I'm your bartender. I feel to me, that's where the penguin was born. Right. Cause that's where he starts to make these moves that, are going to eventually end with him owning the Iceberg Lounge. Well, right? uh, well I think he's the, manipulating Batman. The thing you're skipping over there is that when Batman says he wants to finally go after Falcone himself, mm-hmm. Penguin tries to dodge it. And mm-hmm. Batman's like, why are you lying? And he admits that, well, once you've got Falcone, then what am I at that point? Like, I've, I've felt important recently helping you take all these guys out. I don't want this to end. Mm-hmm. And I think what this issue is doing is that it's really painting this this foundation for why Penguin is the way he is, and why he's always so determined to be the smart one or be the or to he always lashes out, right? Yeah. Because this book starts with him being belittled, having a glass smashed in his face, and then there's yeah. literally a scene of him in the bathroom pulling little bits of glass yeah. out of his face, and you can kind of see this is where the anger largely comes from it's this 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 mm-hmm. kind of stuff in his past that's made him the way he is mm-hmm. um and yeah like he is obviously yeah kind of manip- manipulating batman but batman's obviously getting a lot out of it but batman actually gives him the money to get the aceberg lounge he owns mm-hmm. the aceberg lounge because bruce wayne gave him the money that's actually yeah. kind of a big deal yeah, um, bruce bruce inadvertently created a a criminal empire you know well, yeah, kinda. It's 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 interesting because it really calls into question the nature of who the penguin is in Gotham now, in terms of at least of how he started. Because yeah, it's this idea that the whole idea is that he would still operate the Iceberg Lounge like Falcone did, mm-hmm. and but only with the purpose that the criminals would come, they would talk, and Batman could still get intel. Mm-hmm. And obviously, somewhere along the line, Penguin just straight up became. A kingpin, right? He just yeah. straight up became that in that and it, role, and it stopped being the city. It almost matches Penguin's identity uh, as he goes, right? Because it stops from being the seedy underground watering hole for crooks, and it becomes this big opulent casino, right? Um, so, so I, I like thematically where that goes. Yeah, so it's like he he has to make it better than what it was before because mm-hmm. he's better than Falcone. Mm-hmm. He. Yep. You know, he's going to have it be bigger and flashier and shinier and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, and at the end of the issue um, is is Penguin throwing the old woman off the roof, right? Because mm-hmm. all issue, I'm like, okay, that, this book's been nothing but showing us how Penguin can act out violently. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of subdued, this issue, because it's in the past and he's not really had the chance to yet. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, the whole idea of her was that this was to give Batman something noble like in penguins like story to like sort of say well he's doing all this to take care of this poor old woman that's uh-huh. something batman can get behind because it's like everything he's doing good he's yeah. doing evil but at the root of it it's he wants to take care of his mom yeah like it, it's you know if, if it was if she wasn't a part of the story it's mm-hmm. just him wanting money and like batman right. can't get on board with that necessarily and, and being power hungry and yeah 
Um, and it's about revenge, the, even, on Falcone. Yeah. But she was the sob story that made it look like there was something mm-hmm. pure at the center of it. And at the end of the story, he's like, you were important. And she's like, I'm important. Like, no, no, no. You, no you, like, I didn't say you are. I said you were important. And then pushes her off the roof. That's the final panels. Her so, falling through the sky. I, I'm, I'm going to be negative for, for a hot second. Um, I wasn't on. a big fan of the art in this. Okay. I, I don't, That's, uh... it, it, it's an acquired taste type thing, and it's just not mine. Um, just the proportions and everything from what we've had on this book before. Um, uh, but... This last page is some of the most masterful storytelling that I've seen where they start off so far apart. And as he is telling her, no, you were important. It ends up with him throwing her off and then her falling through off of the roof. So it's almost like this countdown that you can just follow. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of that was in the script. I don't know how much of that is the artist doing this as well, but it is some... Like, I it got a dark laugh out of me when he said, no, you were important. Because as you're reading, you kind of, your eye goes to different colors. And her, when he pushes her, it's red. And as she's following, it's all yellow. So you, so you know when you open the page, when you get to that page, that something bad has happened. But you're not sure what. And then when he drops that on her, I, it got a chuckle out of me. And then I felt terrible, right? Because all this lady did, despite having, you know whatever mental illness that she had, because she used to be a, a ballerina, right? She hit hard times. And then she was trying to help out all of these kids that were coming up in Gotham. Um, and, and her basically her only sin was was trusting this guy. And, and it got her thrown off a roof, you know, uh, by... I mean, she's thrown off the roof by a bird that can't fly. I don't I mean, know what else is irony. If she even does trust them. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know... True. If she, I, It almost feels like he's just taking advantage of her condition by showing up and she doesn't really... True. You know, she can't really put up a fight. It's, yeah. um... Yeah, I think the art is, is very different from before. I think... I'm not necessarily a fan of Penguin's face and a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I do like some of the other characters. I like how Falcone looks in the shadows. I like how Batman yeah. looks. Like... There's a lot of it I do really like, and I think Mm -hmm. what you were getting at with the final page is that even if you're not in love with how he draws Penguin's face, Mm -hmm. the sequencing in the art, the the way it moves from panel to panel is exceptionally good still. So maybe it's not quite to the same taste as the art from before, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like... This feels very different than all of a sudden we've got like... Gillen March as as the yeah. artist. This is more like no, no. This is still a high quality artist. It's just not mm-hmm. one that maybe everyone's going to vibe with as much as yeah. the as the previous. Because because that, that's the thing I like the least about it, but I still really like this issue. You know, it's just. It, but it, I could also rationalize that this is him drawing Penguin in, in as the most grotesque way possible. You know, it's kind of showing his inner self. Uh, yeah, you know, you can Fal- get away with that if you want. Because yeah, Falcone and the other criminals are basically mm-hmm. all mocking him for being yep. like so ugly. Like that's kind yep. of what they say is they're talking about. Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so a thing. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I think this was a really interesting issue. It's not what I was expecting necessarily. Uh, after the end of that last arc, <laughs> I'm yeah. actually a little confused as to what the next story is going to be because. I thought, oh, maybe that's just like a one issue fill in before we get back to continuing the present day stuff, uh, mm-hmm. just to give the artist like an issue off, and that makes sense. But yeah. it does say part one, like when you on the title page. Yeah. So 
I'm not yeah. it makes me wonder if we're going to actually get like the next stage of Penguin's career and there's going to be like four or five issues here going through mm-hmm. his rise to modern day Penguin before you know before the fall before the whole yeah. you know fake murder thing yeah so the next issue is by Subic uh, yeah and then... I, I suspect you're going to get a full arc out of him then nope just the two because there's oh, issue issue eight is back to De La Torre okay so there's a fill in there it's just a two part yeah. fill in okay Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, fair enough. but but yeah. So it just looked. looked I, I suspect it. if I was to guess, then I'd suspect that the next issue will be kind of his rise to being the kingpin. Mm-hmm. Uh, once now that to, he's got the lounge. Yep. So to where he was before he, you know, gave it all up, right? When he when when what was it that Batman killed him? That's what set off kill the. Well, I, I, I don't know if it'll go that far. I could see it just going to the point where Batman realizes that Penguin's not just working for him anymore. That he's a, mm-hmm. you know, where he realizes that Penguin's actually a villain yeah. in the city. No, that could be. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I can see that being... speed. We're not just going to speed run his career. Yeah, in in Gotham. So, so yeah, but basically, I'd say these two issues are like Penguin Year One, <laughs> if yeah. you want to call them that. That's about right. Uh, no, I. I, I yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm looking forward to getting back to him coming back to the city with his squad that he's built, because that was obviously mm-hmm. what the entire first arc was building up. I do this as an interesting little two-parter to throw in, though, because seeing some of his motivations and seeing how he was treated and how determined mm-hmm. he is to take over and, and how he's done it, like that, because this feels like a very early version of what we've seen in some of these other issues, right? Where mm-hmm. he's very unassuming and the others yeah. don't realize they're being outplayed. And in this case, including Batman, even. Yeah. So, whereas that's something the Batman won't fall for again, because, you know, once, <clears> Penguin's, <throat> once Penguin's tricked him once, you know, Batman ain't going to yeah. you know, easily fall for it a second time. True. But I wonder if that's what's going to play off. Is, remember in, in the first issue, we get that flash forward almost of them in the, the crash bat plane. Yeah, the, the very, very start of the Right. And, I, the and I'm wondering if this, this plays in that Bruce remembers... Oh, no, I trusted him once before. Like, obviously, I can't let him die. I mean, right? I, I, but... I think it already plays in, just in the sense that we finally mm-hmm. got like some of him and Batman interacting. Because, yeah. like, up until this issue, that one scene with them in that in the Batwing was the only time we've seen them together. This entire yeah. thing. So it was just kind of nice to be reminded of, like, oh yeah, yeah, this is building up to them being involved in something together again. Yeah. Um, very curious. So. Mm-hmm. I will see. If I was to guess, I would say that Penguin is going to offer help to Batman to take someone down, and yeah. obviously Batman's going to be skeptical based on this. Because I mean, Batman's probably going to figure out who killed the old woman. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's kind of one prime suspect. Right? Yeah, the, kind of the only person that would go visit her. It's, it's made. I mean, Oswald made that very clear, right? That he, he's one of the only people that remembers her. So. Yeah. yeah, it never even occurred to me because you said this uh, a little bit ago, but um, the the almost the dark irony of her being pushed off the building mm-hmm. by a, a flightless bird of the penguin uh-huh. when she was going on earlier about the pigeons not being great flyers, right? Uh, right. It's, it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, King has that way, man. He's got a wit to his to his writing. I mean, uh, but but yeah, it all it all comes together. Yeah. Um. So, very good. Uh, yeah. Honestly, some of my favorite art might be that page. There's like three pages in when he's in the bathroom, and he's just in silhouette as the drunk guy is just mumbling in his narration about, um, 
you know, it's like the, the, about this not happening again, and uh, yeah. yeah, just ba- basically this like how cold and calculated penguins clearly thinking about things as this guy's just stumbling around. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just painted a picture, uh, and I do like the coloring quite a bit as well. Yeah, across the coloring's pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, the, with the way that it goes when like Batman shows up and says Trab, you know, like music blues and stuff. Yeah. But everything in the Iceberg Lounge is this the dingy yellow uh, and stuff. And then, that uh, I mean, for me, that culminates on the final page, right? Where we get the red, you know, and the yellow. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, very good. So, what are you giving Penguin issue uh, six? I'm going to give this a, a eight. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's not the best issue of the book, but I think it's doing some interesting things and really fleshing out uh, this character. And it is kind of funny how it almost crosses over timeline-wise slightly with uh, the other King story that we're going to talk Mm -hmm. about later. But uh, there you go, Penguin. All right, Amazon's Attack, issue four. Josie Campbell writing with uh, Vasco Georgiev on the... uh, Nailed it! On the on the art, did I? I wasn't even trying. If I'm honest, he just, he just reminded me. I think there's a Knights game on that I'm missing, where they're playing the Rangers, where Gorgiev used to play. What? A so Ryan Shame. Oh uh, well, you know what? It's six minutes left in the third, and they're up four to one. So uh, I'm I'm happy, which I know bums you out. Oh, Marchy got another two. He's on hat watch. Anyways, Gorgiev, Amazon's attack. Yes. Uh. uh there's an editor's note in here that points out this entire book, uh, this miniseries takes place before issue five of Wonder Woman, which I guess just mm-hmm. that's just them saying that because Jara's here and all, Cassie even mm-hmm. shows up. So just to explain why yeah. uh, they're not with Wonder Woman, uh, which is fine. So, no, I mean, this has been a, a, a fun book. I think this issue kind of continued that trend. Um, you know, it's, it's mainly focusing on Yara and and Cassie. Uh, we get back to Mary eventually in the issue, yeah. uh, but Yara's investigating a safe house, like a, an Amazonian safe house, which mm-hmm. turns out uh, the people who were there have disappeared. In fact, every Amazon who was in a safe house has mysteriously vanished into thin air, and there's just graffiti saying asylum all over the walls. So clearly mm-hmm. that's something we're going to investigate, but this is where... Uh, we get we get a great couple of pages here where Yara turns and throws her, uh, oh, what do you call that thing again? The bolo. The bolo, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out it's just Cassie coming in and she just sort of mm-hmm. dodges it and jumps out of the way. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's them bantering back backwards and forwards. Um, the, the SWAT team shows up and mm-hmm. you know we get we have we get them sort of. Uh, you know, making their escape, which actually leads to one of the, the main running jokes of the issue mm-hmm. is that Cassie says she knows a secret exit and then she just flies through the wall <sighs> yelling secret exit and that becomes a running gag I, for the rest of the issue. I had a kind of up and down week and I read this when I was not in a great headspace. I got to the secret exit and then Yara kicking the guy out, yelling at her, like telling Cassie, you don't get to call a secret exit if it's just you smashing through the wall. That gave me such a laugh and improved my mood. That like I'm I'm very thankful for this book this week. Oh yeah, yeah. it's a it's a really fun light read. The characters mm-hmm. are really nice and likable and just kind of a, a pleasure to be around. Uh, that goes for Mary as well, who sort of like mm-hmm. hides for a second in the prison because we we left her in the prison mm-hmm. and Count Vertical was there. She ducks out for a second so she can Shazam comes back mm-hmm. in, you know, all super powered up, um, mm-hmm. 
and tries to take on Count Vertigo. Although it turns out that uh, Lady uh, Savannah mm-hmm. has uh, enhanced Count Vertigo's abilities. So yeah. he uh, he turns them on and uh, she starts really kind of like, you know, freaking out and getting Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Yara and uh, Cassie show up. They, they come flying through the roof to which Cassie yells secret entrance with a big shitting grin on her face. <sighs> This, this is making me really love Cassie again. I, I've forgotten how great she can be. Oh, yeah. I mean, all this stuff was fun. Them uh, working together uh, mm-hmm. to get out of this place. Uh, all good fun. Uh, Mary Shazam's back into human form uh, mm-hmm. to take out the or to take out a hole in the, the ceiling so they can go back mm-hmm. out and uh, she gets the helicopters that are up there. And uh, again... Cassie yells out as she's flying with Mary on her back and holding Yara mm-hmm. in her arms. Says, "No, that was a secret exit." Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's this was all fun banter. My favorite line of the whole book might have been as Cassie and Mary, who have not really spoken mm-hmm. that much, start like really getting along. Uh, Yara <laughs> yep. just sort of grumbles, "Oh God, now there's two of you." Uh, that really got got a chuckle out of me. Yeah. Like it's really set up this chemistry between the three uh, characters. Uh, and Cassie's is kind of a new addition to this. Uh, yeah. This, this well, part. it's she was so in my brain from that Wonder Woman issue that I forgot she's not part of this squad. Yeah. So when she showed up, I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh yeah, she hasn't been here from the start, but she no, just instantly uh... ingratiated herself uh, into this crew. Uh, that was real nice. I also like the the page where Yara fights uh, Vertigo and she fights through it, uh, and she talks about how. The, how her gods from the Amazon rainforest are different than like the Olympians and even the bottom Migdal because, you know, they, they look down on everybody, right? Like they, they look down on the, on the people as gods where her gods are alive in the forest and the streams and everything. And in fact, that gives her her power that she too is a God. And I just thought that whole sentiment with what's been going on with Wonder Woman and the whole idea of the sovereign. Uh, I just like that coming into play here. Yeah. Right. As kind of a reminder that she's strong on her own. Um, and that's what ultimately, you know, helps her get the edge for Cassie to punch out Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm just trying to remember this character's name from the Banner McDowell. <laughs> Queen Faruka. Faruka. That's what I was trying there to remember. You go. Uh, yeah, so she was uh, the end of the last issue because we don't get her till right near the end of this, but she was with. Um, you know the tree with the golden apples and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the god that they thought was behind all this stuff isn't. Um, and she's with Hoppy, and then it turns out that Peacemaker shows up. They've kidnapped Nubia from where she mm-hmm. was at the start of the issue, and uh, yeah. So it seems like these two are in a, a spot of trouble. I wonder if we will get an issue focused more on them because we focused on the young girls so yep. much this issue. Or maybe it will. Maybe the the book's just shifting more to the younger characters as these two are yeah. kind of in trouble. But yeah, so Faruka notices the heiress, the god of chaos, has been killed with the Bana Migdal spear. Yeah, it's the spear of Ishtar, and you know, so Hoppy points out like, well, wait, that means how did how how did someone get that? So it's got to be almost like this is an inside job. Whoever's doing this, it's someone that has ties to all the Amazons. Um. Uh, and, and he said, and even Faruka is like, well, someone who can walk out of my fortress without raising an alarm. So I think that's pretty interesting. Like, I'm not that, I'm not that well versed in the, um, 
in the Bonham McDowell stuff, right? So I wonder if this is just a new character or someone that Faruka, you know, we've seen Faruka with before. Um, but yeah, Peacemaker showing up. I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't think uh, of that showing up. So yeah, uh, honestly, really quite read. It's really fun mm-hmm. and bright. Um, I enjoyed the art. I, I think it really nails the basically the happiness and sort of like fun nature of both uh, Cassie and Mary, but the more stoic kind of like take no shit attitude of Yara. Uh, I I think it nails those and it really makes all their interactions really sing. And that's not to say that it's perfect throughout. There there is some faces here or there that that feel a little bit uh, stilted or or flat or or, or whatever. But by and large, as as far as like a a book of this type, which is kind of a B-tier book mm-hmm. uh really easy fun read nice bright and vibrant colors uh fun enough layouts yeah i like it's it's one of those things where there's kind of a ceiling to it but mm-hmm. it was a very delightful read and yeah. uh you know it, i'm i'm happy continuing it so yeah and it gets all the characters that's what i love about josie campbell so far is uh, we are we already love her mary marvel right but her yara has been pretty pretty great uh and even these other characters that i'm not that you know again well versed in like queen faruka and nubia they all stand out and they all have their own identity um and so it does really feel like this community of amazon so like in the title of amazon's attack this is like the amazon's book mm. uh, like it, if they keep it going long enough right we could have almost like a rotating cast of them uh and i feel like as long as it shows you campbell everyone feels right and they all feel like there's an um not an interconnectedness but they they all feel unique to their own and it it, with everything that's been going on in wonder woman it feels nice to have a book that focuses on the other uh characters in that i feel that the editors don't say in this series takes place before Mm -hmm. issue five of wonder woman implies to me that it's not an ongoing that it's 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 got a finite ending in mind but i mean i could be wrong i mean maybe that's just well and Josie Campbell also finds a way of, of telling this one story because it, it started in the, the 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 Mary Marvel Shazam book. Then it went to that, you know, Revenge of the Gods that neither of us read. Uh, and now it's going on through here, you know, so there's a and maybe through Shazam as well, because, you know, Campbell's taking that book from Wade. So, um, yeah, the Campbell has a way of, of tying these things together to keep the story going. I think so. seeing the chemistry between Yara <clears throat> Mary and Cassie, mm-hmm. yep. uh, I think is a good sign for the chemistry she'll have with all the kids in Shazam yep. when she takes that book for over. Sh- for sure. Because uh, she already gets these ones down. We already know she can write Mary. Uh, and we, we do know too, because Darla was pretty prominent in that Mary Marvel book as well. So, you know, but yeah, no, this, is, this, this is a whole lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad that this book is fun and just doesn't feel like because when it first started i thought it was just gonna be a tie-in to this wonder woman stuff right like oh amazon's attack this is yeah it, that. It's, and it's, it's so set, much more because it's telling its own story it's set in the context of that but it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of it's teasing this you know killer on the loose yeah. and someone's setting them up and so there's, there's mm-hmm. kind of its own mystery to to kind of get to uh, and then, of course, this idea that Peacemaker's been sent or is working with Axe, yep. which means Waller's yep. probably connected to Axe as well. So, yep. you know, so maybe some interesting stuff there. Uh, and even thematically with, with Beast World, not that I'm saying they're that connected, but the idea that 
if the whole point of Beast World is yeah. Waller wanting to make everyone hate the superheroes, mm-hmm. and then the point of Wonder Woman right now is that everyone's hating the Amazons, it, those two kind of yeah. go hand in hand. For sure. Uh, thematically, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what are you giving Amazon's attack? I'm going to give this a solid eight. Yeah, I'm just going to go out a seven. But I, it's a really fun seven. Like, I have a good time. So, there you go. Uh, Power Girl, issue five. Leah Williams writing with David Baldion on the art. Take it away, Matt. Yeah, so this is a issue that is... Um, so, it's a different artist than who we've had. Um, and this is just an issue that focuses on Streaky. And it's called Streaky Does a Big Stretch. Uh, the, the I'll get the negative out of the way. Um, this just... This almost feels like it's a... Like a story for one of those annuals or one of the big collections of like, you know, the super pets. You know, this feels like it would be streakies uh, because it's largely silent and it lets the art do a lot of the the work. Uh, so Baldian does a very good job drawing cats. I'll give him that. Right. So it, it starts with this cat walking through the city um, and it gets the attention of these two guys wearing um, like the laugh now, cry later theater masks. Right. Um, sees them loading up this, uh, um, loading up this, this crate of cats into the back of this van. So this, this little white cat follows, um, to where it's going. Uh, and then we, we get into Streaky hanging out in Power Girl and Omen's apartment, just going about around. And it does this really cool thing with a lot of the human dialogue where we're only getting words that are like familiar to Streaky. So it's kind of this jarbled where you can kind of try to sound it out, which I did, and it didn't make any more sense. Uh, but it would end with, like, streaky as a name or food um, or, like, uh, kisses along those lines. So um, streaky goes to see Omen. Omen's doing, like, a, a facial mask. Uh, and when when she turns around, streaky gets spooked and lets, lets some uh, heat vision through to where Omen throws up a block and, you know, still cuddles, cuddles him, um, drops him, Omen drops him off to see, to see Paige. She's rocking on like an eye patch because of all the stuff that had happened. But as Paige falls asleep, as she's working on this thing, um, Streaky gets on a cape, which still don't, still don't know where, where the cape came from, uh, and goes out and sees this meeting of cats, um, where the white cat, ex- where I'm assuming, uh, tells them that the, the other ones were stolen. So Shiggy goes through the city investigating, uh, and they end up um, using their, their super uh, hearing to, to find these guys in the masks. Um, takes them down and then follows to where the van was going, uh, where it was parked. And it looks like it's this makeshift uh, science lab where this, this person in scrubs is experimenting on these stolen animals from across the city. Um, Streaky lets them all go. Uh, they end up, uh, what looks like they're trying to inject this serum into them, uh, ends up um, breaking. Uh, they go free. The cat makes it back uh, to its owner. Uh, Streaky looks up, um, you know, looks does that Superman where, you know, Superman's soaring up and looking down and saying goodbye to everybody. Uh to go back to Paige and, and curl up uh, and do a kitty ball at her feet as, as she's asleep. Uh, and the issue ends with, with Kara stopping by saying that they're going to need Paige's like, reality punching powers 
Or something that uh, I, I thought they were getting away from. Because um, Kara needs help in doing something. And uh, this is something that only Power Girl can do. Uh, it's pretty big. And it might be uh, illegal. So it ends with, with Paige having her morning coffee. Uh, uh, to teasing the team up uh, of the Supergirls. Uh, so pretty fun issue. Not much to it. Just kind of streaky saving saving these cats from a illegal pet lab, um, or not even pet lab, an illegal animal lab. Uh, and again, very quick read. Like I was starting to panic that I didn't get enough red today, and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to cover Power Girl. Uh, and then I sat down to read it, and it took you know no time at all because of the issue. So um, the art's pretty pretty decent. It does the animals better than the people. The the people are kind of very cartoony. In uh, kind of not a character like a caricature way, um, it's just not the same style of art that we had before. So, um, but yeah, it is really really solid issue. Uh, I'll give it a. I give it. I'll give it a seven. All right. So I'll take out a Batman Braving the Bold issue nine, uh, specifically just the the first story because this is the Tom King and Mitch Garrett story. Uh, it's been a four part thing. Uh, about Batman and Joker's first interaction together. Mm-hmm. It's called The Winning Card, uh, for the record. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, this uh, this was obviously something we were looking forward to. Gorgeous art. It's wrapping up this thing that's really made Joker feel like a, a, like a horror villain, something that's this ethereal, creepy bad guy. Uh, kind of loved it. And I think this is a solid final chapter. In some ways, I think it might be like almost hurt a little bit from the big gap from the last issue because it kind of feels yeah. like we get just the climax and not like much of like the the creepy joker stuff is that we were getting consistently before and i don't think that's actually something this issue should have had it's just that because it's been a while since issue three i was looking forward to getting some of that and instead it's more just the mm-hmm. uh the final confrontation and the fallout from it if you will uh but yeah. uh batman's chasing joker down in the batmobile while joker's in like a cop car <laughs> Uh, and they have this this confrontation in the woods, where you got the 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 ha ha has the you know the, the old mm-hmm. film silent movie panels uh, as Batman's looking for him. We get this gorgeous full page spread of Joker jumping out with a knife, and it's God, it's he. Garrett's draws such a lifeless Joker that's also full of life, right? Like the <laughs> eyes. Like, no, so, like, the body proportions and everything's there, and you feel the motion, but just these, there, it's like Quint says about the shark, their lifeless eyes, like a doll's eyes. That's mm. what Joker's working with, and it gives me the creeps every time I see the Joker. So, like, mission accomplished, Gary. He's a living paradox, is what you're saying. True. So, yeah, I swipes at Batman, and there's a bit of uh, some punchy-punchy. Uh, but at the end of the punching, Batman realizes the knife is like in his stomach. Like Joker's mm-hmm. managed to stab him. So we get this thing where Batman actually passes out with a pain and wakes up seemingly after dawn because the lighting, you know, the coloring's completely mm-hmm. changed to be in this sort of warm glow. And Joker's just sitting there injured, like over next up to a tree, mm-hmm. right next to Batman, basically. And he's not left. Uh, so they have so this confrontation ends up continuing and, and at this point alfred's came looking for him because he's worried uh-huh. he wants to fight batman he wants to make sure bruce and, is okay and bruce does not want alfred there he's trying to oh no you know basically no. keeping him away and that goes back to as the chase where 
where Alfred was kind of chastising. He was like, you said you weren't going to do this. You, you got to come back to me and this kind of stuff. That's, that's what the subtext is. Um, so stop doing this. Stop chasing this madman. And so when, when uh, Alfred shows up, Joker, right? Joker can hear that he's talking to, to somebody and Joker pops awake. And it's another one of these cre- like creepy uh, moments. But I really liked yeah. that. It, it, it added a sense of tension. To where, like, Bruce needs to get this done with because he cannot have Joker and Alfred, you know? Yeah, so Batman pulls the blade out of his stomach as he's telling this story about mm-hmm. how his father would always bait the worm himself because mm-hmm. it's respect to the worm to not have someone else do it. And Batman's like, but to me, it doesn't seem to matter. Honor or no honor, the worm's still dead. And this really felt like a homage to the end of Killing Joke to me, uh, this mm-hmm. next part, because... Batman comes over to him, um, you know, seemingly, uh, you know, like, you're not really sure if he's going to kill him. Like, Batman's very right. menacing. He's looking down at him. Uh, you know, it does that classic thing where it's just the all-black cowl with the white eyes. And mm-hmm. he he picks up the knife like Michael Goddamn Myers, yep. and he tells a joke. And this is what made me think of uh, the end of Killing Joke, because if mm-hmm. you remember at the end of Killing Joke, that you know ambiguous ending in the rain where, you know, did yep. Batman finally kill Joker or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman starts laughing, right? That's, that's, that's the end of the story, mm-hmm. is that they sort of laugh together and then the, the panels go down to the water and that's how the book the ends. Lights. yeah. Yeah. Uh, here, Batman tells a joke. He, he tells It's a really bad joke. He's like, oh, the Batmobile wasn't starting, so I went to the mechanic uh, and asked him to check the battery, and the mechanic, after thinking about it, said, um, what's a Terry? The joke being that because Batman calls everything the Batmobile, Batwing, Bat-whatever... Look, you say it's not a good joke. I think it's a great dad joke. And this just seeds well, that, I, you know... Well, actually, no. Here's the thing. I'm yeah. not even critiquing it, because yeah. Joker brings up that it's a shit joke, and Joker yeah. critiques it later on, and I agreed yes. with the son of a bitch, which really, did not make me feel comfortable, but he's right. No. But I think it works in the moment of, you know, in the idea of a structure of a joke, mm. right? That, you know, Joker's looking into it way too much. And that's kind of what they say about comedy, right? Is, yeah, the more you start dissecting comedy, the less something ends up being funny. And you could almost say the same thing about Joker, right? The more you shine a light on Joker, the less of that air that he has, you know? So, um, I... You know, so while it wasn't a great joke, it, it's a prime on dad joke that I feel like Bruce would make, right? Because Bruce doesn't really get humor. You know, he's very, like, I say that like he's a robot. He's not. But, like, as Batman, he's not doing too much laughing, right? Well, so the fact that this is coming from this menacing figure as he's holding the knife, it almost makes it worse than the Joker, right? Well, I, I don't think so much the point is that he doesn't get humor per se. Like, one of the things that he says later to the Joker when he goes mm-hmm. to see him, because, you know, it does this ambiguous thing mm-hmm. where it cuts to, like, Alfred and him fishing, mm-hmm. um, and Bruce is kind of telling him about what happened and how he was still there and when he passed out and all that. Um, and, you know, th- th- even this conversation is very important for the, for the story because it's uh, mm-hmm. Alfred talking about how his father also made mistakes because uh, yeah. Bruce kind of criticizes him. Well, if my father was perfect, he wouldn't have went into a you know an alleyway in a tuxedo, you know, yeah. in a, a bad part of town kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, your father made mistakes just like you do." Um, and 
yeah, but the difference is, is that his dad tried to surround himself with other smart people who would help him, mm-hmm. whereas Batman does not do that. Batman, at least, you know, early days Batman is very right. much about be- being solitary and being, you know, fighting this war alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's this interesting idea that, like, him and Joker are very similar, and that's the scary part mm-hmm. of it, is that there's, yep. like... They're both obsessed with something in the same way. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it finally reveals at the end of the, the conversation that he didn't stab Joker. He just sort of like, you know, stabbed the, the ground next to his neck mm-hmm. um, in a kind of a menacing way. And Joker's got this big grin in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, uh, that, but, you know, Alfred's saying, you know, when you look into him, you know, that this thing that you do, you know, it's this, you know, when, when you first started saving people i thought oh maybe maybe this is a good thing master bruce is doing maybe maybe this isn't a sign that you know we failed or whatever and maybe this is mm-hmm. actually healthy but then once the joker started doing his thing alfred kind of recognized some similarities with batman and even says to bruce like when you looked into his eyes don't you see something familiar isn't that something that you should be scared of kind of thing um so yeah. That, that image of him is in black and white too, with the with the red from the blood yeah. and the purple from his eye, and he's just creepily smiling, and it just oh man, Garrett's is Garrett's nose mood. I'll, I'll give him you know all the other praise that we give him. This one really is this this story is kind of dictated by the mood and the tone, uh, and he just nails it. Yeah. Uh, so. There's that scene. This is one of the things that suffered a little bit from the, mm-hmm. the delays, from like or not delays, but how long ago mm-hmm. the last part was. Is that I vaguely remember this other rich guy that wanted to yeah. catch Joker, but I don't remember it well enough to really completely get this scene. I, I don't. Yeah, think. I just know him as that. Oh, that's a guy that they drew to look like John Barenthal. Yes, yes, he's got the big chin. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a great bit of art though at the end of this where Batman or Bruce mm-hmm. is in shadow and you can sort of see the Batman eyes even though he's yeah. not in Batman outfit that's really good yeah. Um, but yeah Joker uh, is in Arkham and Batman goes to see him here at the end of the book and this felt like the other homage to Killing Joke because that's mm-hmm. how that story starts mm, that's uh, right that's yeah. right uh, very, very similar like side on view as Batman's walking past mm-hmm. the doors uh, so yeah. very intentional but Batman goes to ask a question, why didn't you kill me? And of course, if you're a long-time Batman fan, you, you know, this idea that Joker doesn't yeah. want, want to kill Batman because he, he likes playing uh-huh. the game with Batman is such a thing. So, But it makes sense that this being the first Batman-Joker interaction, this story, that you know, we're only just getting to that realization at the end of it for mm-hmm. Batman. Uh, but yeah, but I think this is the first time in the book that Joker's dialogue isn't the uh the silent film that yep. now, now it's just like i mean you don't see him like it, it all comes from mm-hmm. behind the, the 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 little glass window on his uh door in arkham and there's like a little smiley face that he's drawn on it but you never see him it's just this yep. sort of like almost spooky like directionless voice just coming mm-hmm. from behind the door um but yeah but yeah even joker like sort of prods at him from uh you know uh, being similar to him and Batman try to defend himself saying mm-hmm. you know uh, so yeah uh, but Batman says this is the beginning of something the two of us uh, and Joker's like I think so too you know does it have to be uh, and then we we actually go into the room and see Joker yeah. sitting in the darkness in his straight jacket as he continues this conversation 
Um, mm-hmm. And the slow, the slow like push into like almost Norman Bates esque as the Joker's talking. It's not. It's not even esque. I think it's it, directly you think that. It's yeah, directly, directly inspired. All right. Yeah, I would say um, so for sure. Uh, so. Yeah. I like this too because it's where he critiques the joke and it falls flat. And Batman's like, "I don't think you get it." And then so Joker's like, "No, I get it. I always get it. It's just not funny, you know." And then Bruce goes, "I can say the same about you." And Joker laughs. You know, it's not like a laugh laugh, but it's like a, ah. So this this is the game we're gonna play. It's like it, it clicks with him. Well, well I, yeah, that, that was one of my favorite lines. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here is 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 that that line of um mm-hmm. no I get it it's just not funny <laughs> like mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. that the idea of Batman saying no I get who you are and what you're doing yeah. but it's just not funny and it's never mm-hmm. going to be uh but yeah so yeah and basically it ends with Joker saying mm-hmm. oh Batman my my Batman brave and bold mm-hmm. we're going to have such a grand time together aren't we and then you just get one last silent panel of the the laughter. Uh, we're almost like the 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 film too is falling apart and it gets so damaged yeah. and there's it like, makes the smiley face yeah there's well it's not just uh, the smiley face you'll notice his mm-hmm. bat ears and the, mm-hmm. the mouth as well that's right it almost does it does it looks like the bat that flies towards bruce yeah and we are one. Oh, yeah. i didn't even notice that till right now yeah it's neat that's fantastic it's a cool little thing i yeah, the art is gorgeous, obviously. The final points that it makes is is great. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to reading this. I, I, this is probably a great one sitting, just to read these yep. four issues back to back. Uh, just don't read it at night when you're by yourself. That, that's all I ask. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like, I really loved this. And uh, talking about it again is made me, making me realize just how much I loved some of these little moments of, like, Joker being easily the worst villain Batman's ever encountered. So there is maybe a moment where you think, "Oh, mm-hmm. will he kill him?" I mean, we know he's not going to, but right. like that. But, but for him, he's... like, should I finally cross that line? Yeah. But then doesn't. Well, and that's where that tension comes in, right? With with Alfred, we know it doesn't. But King and Garrods do such a great job of of the urgency Bruce has to keep Alfred away, you know, uh, and and that that almost you know it, it gives it like that. Well, I'm gonna have to do this. It gives it that tone. Uh, and and where where it ends with him with the with the knife sticking next to the you know into the ground, and and just a big shit eating grin on Joker's face, like, um, but yeah, this this is one of the best Joker stories ever. I'm I'm willing to oh, to put that. That's bold. Uh, that, I yeah. yeah, I think I like the idea that the idea of Batman telling Alfred to stay away and not get mm-hmm. close to Joker is mm-hmm. kind of like almost unknowing to himself but he's almost kind of like admitting that joker's the dark side of him and Mm -hmm. that keeping alfred away is also a a sign of not letting alfred get too close to him right i I think that's a really good little bit of subtext there yeah it works in parallel yeah sure uh so yeah i mean obviously it has to end with the beats of we're going to you know you know Mm does that that line from dark knight uh you know we're going to do this forever aren't we yeah so yeah. That, that was always going to be the point that it ends on um mm-hmm. i think this issue only suffers a little bit in that because it's been so long since the other three and yeah. i almost wanted more joker like 
you know going after people <laughs> because we, we haven't had it in so long yeah. there was I, I don't know if you mentioned it it might have got lost because i was looking through the art but yeah. when, when bruce is fighting joker he's and he's laying in the hit he's listing the people that joker's killed oh yeah yeah that's so and good. it really brings like up that 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 it's his this quest for for vengeance and to to right these wrongs is that's what also drives him to the point to where joker can also say, see we're not that different you we just you know on opposite sides um i i kind of like that vibe there that as he's naming these people the joker probably doesn't remember right but bruce does and that's why he's doing this so um really really good uh sequence there yeah for sure um yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I think this was a a great interpretation of the first Batman Joker meeting. I had read, you know, way back in my early comic reading days, I read the Brubaker version of this, which was the Batman yeah. who laughs. No, it was the Man Who Laughs. Sorry, Man Who Laughs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember that being a solid enough like version of the first Joker Batman meeting, a bit, a bit more traditional, I guess. Uh, whereas this was obviously a bit more ethereal and more like a horror movie of just how. Yes much impact joker has as an as a especially when you can contrast it to like you know most versions of batman's origin are about him making the criminal underworld fear him right and like mm-hmm. they have to know to fear the batman and then like joker is just this horror movie force in this uh, like, there's something really interesting in that and i think they also tying it to the silent film and we've talked a lot especially the yeah. first issue about what that does and how that sort of creates mm-hmm. a certain vibe for the character but I think, as a whole, silent film inherently feels old to us. And yeah, it's 100 yeah. years old at this point. Yeah. And it makes it feel like Joker coming out of the, the shadows to prey on Gotham mm-hmm. isn't something new coming out of the shadows to prey on Gotham. It's something right. that was always there before. That's right. just it's just been its... revealed. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, all, all that stuff's great. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to read this all in one sitting so I can really get it. You know, so once the moment this collection comes out, I'll definitely be picking that up because, yeah. again, I, I do have to say, if not, it's the best. It's definitely my favorite of the Joker stories that we've gotten in recent memory. So, um, but yeah, it kind of does the impossible there. It kind of makes me like the Joker, you know? Yeah, like you've not read other good Joker stories. Come on. <laughs> I can't, I'm going to tell you, I can't name any off the top of my head right now that aren't the the Killing Joke, which I'm not that big of a fan of. Like, I think it's fine. Um, but yeah, I can't... Nothing comes comes across my brain at this assistant. I'm sure if I looked at a list, I'd be like, oh yeah, that one was good. That one was good. You know, I'm sure they're out there. But like, this one really made... Really made an impact. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, now, very good. I'm sure an Ace Deluxe hardcover. It, what's interesting is that it's not actually that much longer than The Killing Joke. I mean, Kelly and Joke was just a one-shot, but uh, it's like 60 pages or something like that. But th- this is only four regular-sized issues worth of, of stories, so it's only about 100 mm-hmm. pages, uh, if that, even. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what are you rating uh, this uh, Brave and the Bold story? I'm going to give this a nine. Yeah, I have a nine. Uh, in some ways, it may be my least favorite of the four, but it's still fantastic mm-hmm. and still does yeah. so many like great things. So. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Well, that'll take us out of the final part of the show where we pick our favorite things of the week, favorite panel slash more, favorite cover, favorite art, and of course, our top five books. So we'll start off with panel slash moment. What are you going with, Matt? All right. So for the sake of brevity, usually I like to list a whole bunch. Um, 
there, there's two that instantly came to mind, and there's the end of the penguin, the last page, which yeah. is very, very expertly done. However, I'm going to go for the funsies because we just talked about the really dark book, and it's going to be the secret entrance. The first time that dropped in Amazon's attack, okay, it, it it gave me the chuckle that I needed, so that that's mine. Yeah, I've got a couple things that I could pick here. Obviously, there's some good ones in Penguin. Detective's got a couple. Uh, Brave and the Bold is really making a case for for having a moment. Uh, I think I might go with Beast World, though. And I th- I think the moment where Amanda Waller basically just has that look in her face where Dick realizes, oh, you want us, or you want mm-hmm. to kill them. Uh, mm-hmm. And like realizing just how bad Waller is, I think that moment has a lot of weight to it. So, I think for me, I'm 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 going to go with that. But uh, it was very mm-hmm. close though. There's a few different things I could have picked this week. Yeah. Uh, cover of the week. I was looking at these uh, while you were yeah. uh, talking. Uh, there's a really good variant for Penguin by Raphael De La Torre. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a sort of side view of like Penguin and the cities kind of around them. Looks like an oil painting. Very nice. Uh, there's a Redondo cover for Brave and the Bold, which is like the Batman animated series, uh, like holding up the cape. Uh, it looks very, very nice. Uh, there's also a good detective cover by Federici with Batman in the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's, it's very, very creepy. I like it. Yeah. So these are all very good. Um, I think if I'm picking one though, I'll probably, I'll pro- you know, I'll probably go with the Redondo animated series one for yeah. Brave and the Bold. It's just such a, a fun uh, take on a classic image, but with like a modern looking Batman. So uh, yeah. it's very nice. Uh, what are you pick, picking? Um, so there's a couple from Power Girl I want to spotlight. Um, there sure. is the Just Spokes cardstock variant, which is uh, Kara or Paige at the like at the gym flexing on all these big guys. Um, and there's also a Danny cover that just um, it looks like a, a take on that old Marilyn Monroe cover. But it's it's Paige with her her jacket instead of like the pink dress. Uh, those ones I I really like. Uh, but my cover is going to be the from Flash. It's the Matt Taylor card, cardstock variant, and it it's uh, got. I'm assuming this is Jay, and it's um, all of these like it's like this chaotic image uh, of like these these concentric circles coming around uh, and like kind of floating off of him, like almost like steam. Um, and he looks just very sullen and, and down, uh, and the color work here, it's got the blues and the reds, the whites, oranges, it's everything just pops. Uh, and it's fantastic. Ah, cool. Um, all right. Best art of the week. <sighs> this is super tough because I really liked all of the art in tech. But does anything beat out Garrett's? I don't think so. I don't so think I'm gonna so have to either. give it to Brave and the Bold. <laughs> yeah, I, think I thought it's... I could make a push. I thought you were gonna go, ah, Tech would it have some good art. Nah, yeah, it's it's, it's Garrett's. Garrett's yeah. is, is winning. And there's definitely a lot of good art this week, but mm-hmm. uh yeah, Garrett's is taking it. Alright, mm-hmm. top five books of the week, Matt. Go. Alright, one's gonna be Tech, two is Brave and the Bold, uh three is Penguin, four is Amazon's Attack, and five is Beast World. All right. Uh, one for me is Brave and the Bold. Two is hmm, I'm actually a lot conflicted here. Uh, yeah, one's Brave and the Bold. Two is going to be Beast World, I think. Mm-hmm. 
three detective, four penguin, and five. Flash. Yeah. There you go. So I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics. It's a quieter week, but we do have Batman Superman World's Finest Annual. Oh, it's a week five. I didn't even realize. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got uh, Batman Superman Annual. We have Batman and Robin Annual. We have Titans Beast World Issue 6. Uh, which Is that the last issue of that? Is that the... I believe so. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was six or seven issues. Uh, we have Alan Scott Green Lantern Issue 4. Batman Off World Issue 3. We have a Trinity special, so a.k.a. a Wonder Woman annual. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then a Power Girl Uncovered, so that's just covers. Uh, and then DC Power uh, 2024, one. I Okay, so there's one one new story in the Trinity special. It's mainly a collection of the backups. Oh, really? Okay, so it's not yeah. even necessarily something we should yep. seek out then. Okay. Good to know. Well, if there's one new story, I, I'm definitely on the hook for reading it because I'll, I'll pick it up. So I'll let you know when I read it next week if it's something you should dive into. But I'll, I'll definitely call it, cover the new story because uh, I don't okay. have much else. Like, I'm not reading Batman and Robin. Um, oh, of course The Power Girl is just the covers. So I oh, got yeah. Off-World, Trinity, World's Finest, and Beast World. So Yeah, yeah. I've got what? I've got four books, five if I read the Trinity. Uh, so I'll probably... Yeah, I'll probably do one Patreon book next week and do the other one the week after, I imagine. Um, but yeah, so yeah, week five, always a kind of a weird podge, but at least we did, we, we get like three, two or three annuals here to, to tide us over. And I do appreciate that they've got an event issue dropping and yep. they moved a couple of their miniseries to this week just so that yep. it wasn't completely dead. I do appreciate that. So yeah, <laughs> keep it up, DC. All right, that is the show, pretty much. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. You can let us know what you thought of the books uh, in the comments or get us on the, the, the Twitters at DC Comics Podcast. Uh, of course, you can support everything by going over to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us over there. You get a little bit early access at the $5 and up tiers, uh, but mostly it just helps, you know, keep the show coming. And uh, yeah, but yeah, any, all, any and all help is very much appreciated. Uh, Mm -hmm. but that is the show so thank you very much for joining us and we will see you next time so keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force